Hey there, internet. So this is not the normal opening. There you are. This is not the normal opening that you are used to. We're going to try what I did last week, but the trick's going to be the sound quality. So every week we're going to try this. I have a different setting, and eventually we'll be able to just open the show with it. But today, I won't know till I'm done if you can't hear me. And that would be unfortunate because it's really boring TV to see some guy yelling into some really cool music, but not hear what he's saying like we did last week, right? So... This week, we're going to try to do the same thing, and you'll hear what I'm saying, and hopefully, uh, it'll, it'll inspire you today. And by the way, uh, if you have something called Softerino, uh, you would be able to uh, pr- procure the listening experience if it's good enough for free, uh, and uh, there's other uh, what uh, apps and things that will let you pull a little bit of YouTube down and listen to it. Uh, this music is available on YouTube. I actually paid for the rights to use it once, and, uh, and yet it's still not going through the YouTube system, so they won't let me, uh, what is it, uh, gain view money on this particular video or any video in which I use it, but that's okay, because that means we can use it all the time until they shut the channel down, and I don't care anymore, and it's really cool, and I want to share it with you, right? So here's the deal. I got more of this coming eventually. The trick is how to get out to you. Music that has epic reality that you can hear the Word of God through the midst of it, with it, uh, in your daily life to help you with your devotion. So uh, let's see, let's see. I mean, I don't know if you're even going to be able to hear me when I speak, because last week it didn't work, but we'll try it, we'll try it. Um, Let's do, we'll do it when we come back from this break. I believe in one God. The Father, Almighty, Maker, heaven earth and of all things seen and in unseen be one Lord Jesus Christ the only begotten Son of God begotten of his Father before all worlds God of God light of light very God of very God begotten not made being of one substance with the Father by whom all things remain who for us men for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who speaks And I believe in one holy, Christian, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Right I 
of Egypt, that of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, and you shall remember the Sabbath of the day. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor, Lord Jesus Christ. Open my lips and my mouth and declare your praise. Make haste to God. Make haste to help me, Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, and now, and will be forever. Wrong button. Let's try this again. All right, so I'm back. That sound effect didn't even seem to work. The sound effects maybe have gone bad. Will it? Did you hear it? <laughs> That's what I don't even know. So it's like three and a half minutes of pure adrenaline, right? And and uh, so I feel like I just played a basketball game or something, or ran over a mountain. I do that every morning, and I tell you, it'll it'll wake you up. <laughs> It'll wake you up. So, uh, but what I don't know is why the sound effect on this didn't work then afterwards. I'm kind of convinced computers are... That's super weird. Computers don't work for me anymore. I don't know why. I'm not spending any time on them. And when I come back to them, they just never work. And I'm wondering, like, is it me? Is it the world is getting more like that? Or is it that I just never noticed how much they don't work when I was on them all the time? And I think that's a very important question to ask, right? Because that could be three completely different intense realities. In case you've noticed, the, sorry, this is not meant to be weird, but it is. I've been doing a lot of, uh, I don't know, frameworking, I guess as I would call it, around here. And this has been a very helpful tool. Uh, if you've never found painter's tape, painter's tape is by far the best tape that there is. I like duct tape if I've got to like kill something. But if I want to just work with something and then change it, this is the way to go, this stuff. And it just happens to fit on my Yeti that is so easy to knock over. Look at that. I got a coaster. I got a a Yeti not knocker over, and I can put tape anywhere I want at the same time. So if you're wondering about that, that's the explosion for that one today. We got a lot of your questions, including super chats and things that didn't come across from last week. I don't really have a monologue prepared this morning. Uh, got a little bit of a late start, and again, continuing to massage the studio and continuing to find all these bugs like that the sound effects aren't working right now. So I think what I'm going to do is just give you really bad TV for a second and see if this sound effect works. Here we go. Anyway, <sighs> unmuted. Can you hear me? Yeah, okay, you hear me about painter's tape. I'm going to try to avoid the rest of the music for the rest of the day. Apparently, doing what I just did made none of my music work. Why would that be? The randomness of viral attacks in the world today. How strange and weird they are wherever you don't expect them to be. And I'm not talking about anything in your human body at the moment. I'm just talking about the bugs in the system, uh, the way things don't work. Uh, how the computers have a ghost in the machine, and uh, no, you're not gonna you're not gonna cast it out by like saying Jesus' name on your computer really hard. That's not how this works, right? The fact is, the lies are lines of power, and the more they weave a web, they conceive, <laughs> they confuse and deceive you. And what you've got to do is extricate your brain 
your brain, your mind, your heart, your breath from the heyday wish, wash, move, move, go, go. What did they say last week? I don't know, but I'm wearing a mask now. It's kind of weird. I remember being a kid in the 80s. Like, like, ah, until you pull your head out of that spinning thing and stop just being a cynic about it and making fun of it and being like, oh, they don't make sense. Why do they make sense? I understand why they don't make sense. It's because they're barbarians. They're barbarians. They don't have reason. They have gods. They have gods, and we saw it last week, and that's why our views were better than they've ever been, right? Because I talked about it. Nobody else will. Why? <laughs> that's, that's the most disturbing thing. We are a bastion, this church of Jesus Christ. We are a pillar and foundation of the truth. It's about time we realize we're under assault by dark powers, and they're not hiding. You don't have to be some, some juju person seeking out the deep wiles of the, of the occult to understand that the lies are right in front of your face. And if you just read the Bible, you'd realize it. Because, look, it says this, but I don't like that. I want to live this way, like my culture says, which is dying. Think about that for a little while. You can't if I keep talking. You can't if anybody keeps talking. So you have to actually get out of the talking. You got to get out of the white noise. Oh, that makes me so excited. Yesterday, Meredith and I were finally able to sit down and record a conversation we've been hoping to have or start. Oh, since last summer, I think. You might remember there was a time when Brian Wolfmuller and I were thinking about a podcast called Stop the White Noise. And due to his experience with the last year, he had to pull out of that project, which was totally cool because I probably wouldn't have been able to keep it going anyway, given the way everything else has fallen out. But at the same time, I'd had the idea, since some of you in the past on the podcast channel particularly had heard uh, an interview I did with my wife once or twice and always had said, uh, we really like this, right? We want more of this. I thought, well, why don't Meredith and I spend some time as often as we can, probably a bit irregularly, um, not on the clock and the calendar of man, as it were, uh, trying to share how we as a family have been on a journey of trying to stop the white noise, especially this last year, but really our whole lives. Although like most of us, I don't think any of us realized how far the white noise had gotten until they start putting, started putting masks on everybody, right? And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. No one's thinking anymore. <gasps> yeah, right, 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 right. And that's why you're here. But you want to think for yourself. And you don't, you don't want me to be your teller doer. I will. I will tell you what to do. If that's who you are, which is what most people are today. Please tell me what to do. Please tell me what to do. Be my God for me. Don't make me think about it. Don't make me actually have to study the scriptures and understand my world. Be my God and submit me to your gods. That's what our world is crying out for. Did you hear the talk about canceling flights across the nation because of the installation of Biden to prevent terrorism? I don't know what I hear these days. I don't trust anything I hear these days. But what the heck? Jeez. And so, yeah, if you want to live in that argument, you're going to get more and more nuts. You have to get your head out of the argument. You got to limit the flow of the liar's lie into your life and start putting instead some things that are not lies. And if you just try it with the Bible again. I'm pretty sure at this point in history, TV is not long for your life. Like if you're going to read Proverbs every day, the rest of your life, you will stop watching TV. I don't have to tell you to do it. I don't have to make you do it. You're just going to kind of feel like you should. And it's not that you won't watch it or you're going to condemn people for watching it, even you know, me or whatever. You're going to stop watching me. I hope you do. I hope you do. I, you're not going to walk around saying everyone else has to be like you. You're just going to say, it is so much better to not be buffed and pushed 
buffeted and pushed by every wind, every animation, every new idea which comes across this flickering god that tells me how I ought to be with images and powers that go around my frontal cortex and attack my psyche. Thank you. No. Or at least I'm going to tell you when you get to talk to me. Not the other way around. And if you won't do that with your life, you are going to be led by the nose wherever this age wants to go. We got some questions this morning about that kind of stuff. I grew up in an age where the church leaders like to talk about servant leadership. They like to talk about how we needed leaders in the church who would stand up and serve. I don't know where that talk is now. I don't know where the leaders are now. But I know this. If you don't have anybody who is able to go out and try something without being told they can or who will do it even if it might risk. They will take the necessary risk. If you don't take the necessary risk, the unnecessary risk is worse. What comes from the white noise is worse. The blowback is worse when the pagan gods fall. If you don't have anybody who's going to stand up and lead, then we're not here. Christ always gives confessors to his church even when the pastors are gone he raises up men who will not be afraid to speak why is it quiet my prayers are about us not me my prayers are about us who are afraid because the fear itself is the reign of the devil We'll get into more of that here with your questions and stuff. Let's head over to the grab bag. I wish I could give you some music on the way. And hopefully I will also, (laughs) I did change screens here. I think I'll be able to see this, but it is a bit smaller than my eyeballs as an old man are beginning to like. You know I'm an old man, right? All you all are like, you're a a kid, Pastor Fist. (laughs) I'm just faking it. Uh, Dear Pastor Fist says, Jules, I have a female friend. Oh, hold on. on. Oh, golly. I haven't had my cup all, all this show. That's actually, you know, half of you watch because I hold a cup, right? I learned this from Scott Adams. You can go find his tweet about it. He said the same thing. He had a whole conversation with people on his stuff about his show. And they're like, you know, I think the only reason I watch your show is because I need someone to enable my coffee habit. <laughs> and I think about it. Uh, I need someone to, to make me feel like I'm not alone drinking coffee. and I don't have a shop to go to anymore. You know? And so here you go. Here's your love. You know, it's none of my business. Yeah. <laughs> Joel says this. I have a pastor. Uh, I have a pastor. I have a question. Ah. I'll try a third time. Three's help. Third time's the charm. Is that an Irish saying? It's not. It's got to be from the Scots. Everything's from the Scots. We know that, right? I have a female friend with whom I enjoy discussing theology. Cool. Um, she is very Pentecostal. Okay, so meaning generally speaking in tongues as a sign of actual Christianity. And if you do not, then you are on a lower tier of Christianity and have not really received the Holy Spirit in the same way. And thus the four square gospel does not belong to you. That's kind of a general confession of Pentecostalism. I don't hold to any of that. I I call all of that from the devil. Um, I do believe in spiritual battle, uh, but they have, they have, they have actually salted the field is what they've been doing for us. They've made it harder because now a lot of the language in English that we should use from the Bible has been twisted. Um, In any case, God bless them. There's still a lot of Christians in there. Don't get me wrong. They're basically Baptists who believe the Bible even less, you know, but they still can believe Jesus is their savior and all that kind of thing. Be very genuine Christians. Many people go a whole lifetime with complete near heresy, but a childlike trust in Christ. And he pulls them through because that's what his religion does. (laughs) It's not about how much your mind is involved. It's not about how much you're in control of the white noise. He is here talking to you through me because you're not in control of the white noise. You're not. He is. So if you're his child, son, 
air. Stop being afraid of the white noise. Stop thinking that what I just said to somebody, oh, I feel bad. I don't do enough like Pastor Fist says what I do. Dude, no, no, I don't do enough. Nobody does enough. Stop thinking it's about doing enough. It's not about doing enough. It's about believing. It's about believing with your body, not just your mind. That's what James is all about, what he's mad about. It's not that he's saying you're not justified by grace through faith, according to the atonement of Jesus Christ that took all the evil of the world in one significant cosmic moment and bound it into his own body, which he buried in the grave. That's a reality. And if you have having the inkling of like, I hope that's for me, then it's for you. You're the elect. Wake up. Stop worrying about it. Stop preaching as if we're afraid people might accidentally not believe us. Jeez, we just got to say what we believe. Anyway, so hence, uh, I disagree with the Pentecostals pretty severely. Uh, I think they've done a lot of damage, thrown fire upon the fields of America, especially out west. It came out of the California death zone, which all evil that we've seen since we hit that coastline came out of. Wherein the New York, Brief History of Power with Dr. Kuntz and I got to go into listen, listen to that if you want more of this. But, you know, the, the, the spiritual evil that came out of the eastern seaboard Yankee desire to be a light for the nations, meaning remove everybody else's culture. Uh, once they got to California and began making movies, right, you had religions start to spawn all over the place out there. And Pentecostalism is part of that, out of the Azusa Revival, which took place, I think, what, 1908, 1912, somewhere in there. Complete, California was not the California you're thinking of back then, but this is part of what made it that. And anyway, so, um, well, God bless you for being a Christian, but again, a Pentecostal who believes you must speak in tongues that nobody can understand but you in order to be a Christian, I'd call that not biblical. Not even close to biblical. And it means you're talking to some God who you can't understand, actually, besides yourself. It's just you. It means at the end of the day, if you're really getting that tongue speaking, <laughs> you're with the dark powers. And that's, well. By the way, my name is Jonathan Fisk. I'm here to rescue you. Well, we'll come back to that in a little bit. We'll come back to that in a little bit. All right, so uh, post my explanation of what, uh, blah, 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 I went too far. We often constructively argue over closed communion. Good. Free will? Yeah, good. And infant baptism? Yeah, that sounds like sticking points. Uh, she does not think we disagree. Well, she's wrong. Then <laughs> she's the blob Hindu, and she doesn't even believe her own stuff, which, God bless her, we'll talk about that. And you can't say it like this to her, right? That's the challenge, is you are, you, remember, in this whole scenario, from now on, the rest of your life as a Christian who knows orthodoxy, if you have, wherever you have it, if you even have a little bit of orthodoxy and a lot of heresy, you know the orthodoxy, cling to that. Cling to it, right? As the one who clings to her, you're like, you're like Neo in The Matrix. If you haven't watched it, you really should. Uh, you should read the book, look at the, the novel, but don't read. The, once the first one's over, don't go any further. It gets terrible after that. But the, the paradigm, look, you are outside of what everybody else is living in. You're so far outside of it, you think it's like a dirty rock that really deserves to be thrown into a pit of fire, and you can't wait till it's over. And everyone else is like, but it's pretty nice here. The flesh of Egypt, they're not so bad, right? And you got to look at it that way. So you're on that ship. Was it the Nemo or whatever? That, that Nemo? 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 Leonard? No. Ah, uh, big white fish everywhere, right? Um, ah, <laughs> sorry. There was a lot of story in my head from a couple of different movies all at once, and you probably couldn't follow it as I said it out loud. The problem with being Gen X is that everything is in pictures. That's not good. We need more readers in the world. <clears throat> she doesn't know her own religion well enough to realize she does disagree. Otherwise, you wouldn't be having discussions about it. It's kind of the, the writing on the wall. You are one who is outside and seeing it. If two parties are talking, one says we disagree and the other says we don't disagree, it means the one who says we don't disagree is probably not listening. They might be right, but they're still not listening, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of key to the converse <laughs> and all that. Uh, they have to acknowledge that since I say we disagree, therefore that establishes we disagree. 
And if you're like, no, we don't, then yes, we do. <laughs> I mean, the logic just absent, right? It's completely absent. But you can't, you can't stop that, which is why you have to take a different tactic to the way you have the conversation. You're taking this conversation as a one-two bipolar reality, either or. And you need, as a Christian, to not think in either or terms. You need to think in both and terms. In grace is greater than wrath terms. Uh, go and learn what's the, what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Uh, most, of, uh, most of my explanation of what I believe about communion, goes on Jules, uh, is in accordance with the teachings of Scripture and my oath as pastor. So if you're not into that world, what we believe is that Jesus is, in fact, the bread and the wine according to his mysterious promise. We don't dig any deeper than that, but we consider it so holy that we bow down when we when we receive it. Uh, I you know I kneel, I, I take a, a genuflected reverence, I put my fist on the ground like a knight of old, um, and uh, the people come up and they they bow and they put, you know they, they lower their heads and we recognize our King is here, our King is here, um, and so we also then practice this thing called close. <laughs> it's just such a cheesy word, closed communion, which is that look, we're all bowing down to our sovereign King because we're slaves. And you want to walk in and just act like you belong with us and grab some? Can I do that in your house? Are you a barbarian? Oh, you are a barbarian. You've been a barbarian for 30 years. You didn't even know it. You just assume you can take people's stuff? You're a Yankee. And I'll have none of it. I'll have none of it in my life, in my mind, in my heart, and from now on among my, in my church. You don't get to come in and grab Christianity and just strangle it. Do what you want with it. You don't get to do that in an Islamic church. You don't get to do that in a Jewish. Why would you do that in my church? That ain't cool. You don't believe in infant baptism? Can I come into your church and baptize a baby? Then why would you come into my church and take my God, who you say you believe in, but then when I talk with you, I don't think you do. And by believe, I mean, you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe that's Jesus, right? So either I'm worshiping bread by myself with these people and we should go to hell, or you're worshiping something else somewhere else rather than the location, the box, the Ark of the Covenant that God would have you be one with body and blood. If you eat it, I'll raise you up on the last day. All the Bible verses talk about it. None of the Bible verses that talk about this don't say it this way. Baptism's the same thing. So really, we haven't gone further in your question, but in this argument, I'm kind of like, there's, there's again, there's like a triangle of potential conversations about baptism and the Lord's Supper. But, but I have come to the point where I just am going to say, look, all the Bible verses are super clear. And so you can either go and get all the Bible verses you can find about baptism and bring them back and we'll read them just straight through really carefully together. And we'll let them tell us what it is. But I'm going to, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. And I'm going to Greek with me. <laughs> so be ready. <laughs> um, or you just go study that yourself and then you figure out where you can find the verses that support your position because none of them do. And that goes with the Lord's Supper thing too. Everything's from your own head. You're, but I don't, it doesn't make sense. If it wouldn't be this way, if, but if it was that way, then it wouldn't be. Okay, you worship reason. Go for it. Ha, you're a barbarian then. You don't even know it. You lost reason by worshiping it. And that's what we're watching happen in the broader culture over a 200 to 300 year swing. Uh, philosophers and historians will understand that and you, you, we can follow up on more on that, but it, it puts us where we are. What it means is that we who are trying to practice closed communion have been trying to practice it like salesmen trying to sell you to join our club but not let you taste it first for quite a while out of the belief that we have some ability to control this, which is nonsense and a part of the free will discussion, or should be. Uh, and now, well, well, at least some of us are aware, we have no ability to control what's going on, and it's all in Jesus Christ's hands. So if Jesus Christ says that we should, as pastors, and this is where close communion really goes, and the reason we can't have this discussion prior to this week, apparently, 
The only way you fix Lutherans, the only way we make closed communion make sense is if it's about communion with the pastor. That you are willing to commune with the pastor and you can't do that until you've had a conversation with him. You're willing to believe that he is over you spiritually as a shepherd with the ability to uh, discipline you with the word of God, nothing more. He simply is going to talk to you and have his Bible with him. But you're saying that he, therefore, is a trustworthy man in those scriptures. You're putting yourself beneath him. And all these people are doing that whether they know it or not. You're going to follow your pastor as a king whether you call him king or not. It's, it's just like you put a TV in your house and you have it show you stuff. You're going to look like it in 20 years. You put a guy in a room, have him talk at you every week. Eventually, you are, well, if he's any good. No, no, that's not even it. Not if he's any good. If you, you put a guy in a room and let him talk every week, one way or the other, you're going to reflect him over 10 or 15 years. Nobody can look back and say, this is not a reflection of what I have done here. Now, maybe they know full well that the Lord has told them that they're a bronze wall who will just not be heard. You know, and that happens when you're preaching the truth and no one will listen to. And you just got to, you stuck down and do it. I'm Jeremiah, right? I'm Job. Okay, well, you do it. Um, but that's then we've been trying to avoid that with our practice of closed communion. We've been trying to not practice it and practice it at the same time. And uh, we're afraid that, you know, other Lutherans who don't like us no matter what we do will be more mad at us and yell at us more online somewhere or maybe like to their friends uh, if we were to practice what we believe. And so we'll just kind of hem and haw about it because we have, you know, family members that are part of that church body or whatever. That's like where this all goes back to. And again, like think about the idolatry involved in that. Just the thought process. It's pure idolatry. And Jesus is like, so check it out. Uh, guard the deposit entrusted to you. And we're like, but my mom's mad at me. <laughs> Let's go back to Jules. Post my explanation. Oh, blah, 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 blah. sorry. Uh, so the explanation about Christ. Uh, and you, so you've had that whole conversation with her. Obviously, I know that we still disagree since she communes at her church and others. So she says you, she agrees, right? But then she goes to these other churches. That's why you know she doesn't agree. Any, okay, look. And we're going to come into this with a, with a prayer question later too. If I go to a, what's a good team? Yeah, if I go to a Cubs game, this will work. I don't like the Cubs or the White Sox particularly because I don't like baseball <laughs> um never have weird right i know uh i was not allowed to play that might have something to do with it and whatever i played soccer soccer's awesome uh <laughs> if i go to a cubs game and i'm a cubs fan i'm all dressed in cubs i'm wearing a, like a cubs section but there's like a bunch of white Sox fans there in white Sox booing nah we'll just say one he comes in and he boos and he catches the ball that got hit and he jumps over me to get it how am I supposed to feel about that? I think you know how you would feel. So why can you do it to my religion? And I'm not supposed to be like bothered by it. That's what closed communion is about. Like you just showed up. I don't know you from Adam. You could be a liar from the pit of the devil sent here to divide and destroy us with your wily ways and your greedy, snotty questions and the way you throw fits when you don't get the way you want. I've not said that at church yet, but I'm saying it in my head. So when I smile at church and say, no, we're not going to do that. And just leave it at that. Uh, I don't feel so bad about it because that person's the immature fool, not me. Now, your friend again is a, <laughs> an immature, not fool. She's an immature Christian, it sounds like, right? So we got to distinguish between the fool who doesn't believe and the Christian who is deceived. There's jeopardy there. Um, but, you know, let's go on with your question and see if I can, I can get back to kind of the main main thing you're asking. Obviously, I know that we still disagree since she communes at her church. Yeah. However, I am struggling how to explain to her why she cannot participate in a way that would not have been 
It would not have her both continue to push away from truth and become frustrated due to her lack of understanding and my poor communication skills. Right. So what you're, what you're saying is that if you were to try to do or have a conversation about the topic the way I just did, even gently, um, you're concerned that she would be upset by what you did and she would leave. So here, let me just break your conscience of that one. I'm going to say don't try to be a jerk. Try to be the nicest, most gentle kind. I mean, these are biblical words, gentle, kind, loving, be that as much as you can, but do not enter any conversation ever with the fear that you might speak the word of God wrongly and therefore be responsible for someone else's damnation. That's just not how it works. It is not. You should fear for yourself and your speaking in general that you would, when you go and say what you think, that you should shut your mouth a little bit more. But when you are being asked what the scriptures say in an unequivocal reality, it's not on you if they get mad at the way you say, I don't like your face, and so I don't like what you said. I mean, that's what it goes on for most pastors, basically. Like, we come in and we talk about the Bible, and people don't like the Bible, and so they find things to call us so they can leave. It's really amazing. Now, they get mad at the simplicity of the scripture. They get mad at its, its wide, grace-filled scope. They want to lock it down, right? They want to keep it tight. They want to, they want to prevent anything evil from ever happening, which is foolish because evil happens the moment we walk into a church. Here we are, the evil ones, the zombies, the sleepwalkers who have been woken from our slumber and still feel the drag of our dead flesh upon our animation, but are willing to believe that what comes next is far superior. And that will is not one we, bo- we we owned, we made, we created. One is one we're inspired by. It's one that's come from the outside of us and inhabited us by no power of our own. So why should I go and pretend like it's up to me to make it happen for somebody else? That is to be your own God and their God. And no wonder God won't bless that. And it's happening for all of us. And we're all feeling the fracture right now. So don't feel too personally bad about this. Just... If there's anything we're supposed to be doing right now, it's not telling everybody else what to think. I mean, I'm doing it right now, I know, but you got to show, you tune in, right? So I have to say something. But like, if there's anything else we're supposed to be doing right now, it's not telling everybody else what to do. Right now, while the spirit of the age is, we're going to tell you what to do, your job is to withdraw and repent from your desire to be told what to do by false gods. For your desire to be saved from this day by something other than the word and sacraments of Jesus Christ. For your desire for the nostalgia to come back. For what you thought was a safe, carnal life to be restored to you in God's sight. It's been taken away. I'm thankful. It's hard. It's weird. It's dystopic. There's no question. I talk to my kids a lot more. My wife and I, our relationship is in, is flourishing, I'd say. Slowly, surely, as it always has, but with, with a, a way I can see it unfold that I hadn't before. I mean, there's so much good has come out of believing the world is filled with sleepwalking, voracious, wicked, diabolical, demonically led, leyline empowered, pagan fools. I, everything makes sense now. It's not because I'm so wise. I'm not wise. I just happened to accidentally, no, God threw a book in my face. He called it the book. <laughs> it's in Latin, so it's kind of hard. Right? Poor Americans, we don't know Latin, but, but this book. And in the middle of that book is a whole bunch of good stuff, like Jesus. 
and the kingdom of Solomon, who, though he was a fool, he was reigning in Jesus' name and with his word, and all the good he did was because of what Jesus said. And all I know, if you like what I say, let me tell you, all I know is what Solomon says in that book, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I'm so tired of people saying, I don't know Ecclesiastes. He doesn't have God in it. Golly. Do you believe it's the Bible or not? Is it from God or not? Do you believe the higher critics or not? Ecclesiastes is a book for repentant people. And if we are having trouble right now in this age and not understanding what's going on, nothing, even Proverbs, will not give you as quick a, uh, what, a, a bounce back, where are we? Oh yeah, this is the planet. That Ecclesiastes, seven chapters, do it in one afternoon, it'll blow your mind. Turn the white noise off. Arsant Angel Fire. Some of these are from last week. I did miss a few, and I'm, I'm not watching them right now. I'll try to re-scroll. Of course, I always love when you all are asking questions in the comments as a soul show. I'm like, I'm like Dick Van Dyke at the start of Mary Poppins with like the one-man band thing. I just, my eyes can only do so much, and I want to look at you because that's how TV works. <laughs> so you're all over here. We catch these questions. We bring them back. This was one from last week, I think. How do we interpret... 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 33. I've been having a couple of discussions with people regarding the issue of Christian freedom, particularly in light of social media and technology. So here's the text. All right, how do we as Christians deal with the issue of Christian freedom in the area of social media and technology? Uh, let's see. Let's get that up to the top so everyone can see it. Mm-mm-mm. And here is 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 33. All things are lawful for me. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. Not all things are edifying. Let no one seek his own, but each the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Oh, what a beautiful verse. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I, why am I evil spoken of? That might be a typo. Why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Okay, so just remember, this is the guy who got stoned like three times, like with rocks, not with drugs, right? He got, he got hit with rocks in the face multiple times to death. He was chased by wild animals and shipwrecked, and all sorts of people wanted to kill him. Mobs were chasing him. He couldn't go to certain cities in the world anymore. He was, ex- he was not excommunicated. He was exiled from these places as a citizen of the Roman Empire. And he ends up martyred, murdered by the actual government for what he believes as he strives to give no offense either to Jews or Greeks. So make sure you understand that this text is not about not giving offense. Like all the liberals for the last hundred years I wanted you to think it is. It's not about not giving offense. If you think you can live a life in which you don't give offense to a wicked world as a Christian, you are nonsensical. Nonsensical. This is about not giving offense to Christian conscience in the sense where you would weaken somebody particularly by the appearance of your own idolatry. That's it. And then if you're in the text, you can also see how if you're at the house of a pagan as a friend and he gives you food, you know, whatever, you eat it. But if he's like, this is the food of my God, 
who is like unto your God. You're like, I will not eat it. That's the point. That's the metaphor. But as we've been discussing in the brief history of power channel over on the Mad Christian Discord on the server, um, metaphors kind of fall apart a little bit. You need you need the substance too. So the metaphor helps, but you need to have a, a, a clearer, more foundational principle than a couple of pictures that can be reinterpreted by different people. This is where 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful or beneficial is probably the best way to look at it. As what I was saying earlier as a Christian, like as the elect... While you should always fear your own carnal ability to cast yourself out of salvation, you got to acknowledge that left to your own devices, you would throw yourself away. Once you've done that, stop worrying about it. And remember, who's not going to throw you away? Now, this has to come with a large dose of, I will believe whatever he says unequivocally, and I will not argue anymore. (laughs) You know, I will listen to what Jesus' word says, and it's the truth. And I'm not going to sit here and say, well, my culture and my society and my past and my patterns, there are these reasons why I shouldn't be this person. I don't like what it says about woman. She has to be less than man. Oh, does it say that? Have you understood that? Well, if it says that and you have understood that, why don't you think that's good? It's what the Bible says, isn't it? Who do you worship? It's that simple, right? But it's not. It's not. And I'll tell you why it's a tangent. (laughs) Because the influence of the blue light, the talking box, that God's powerful, man. So, like, let's put it right here. Can you watch TV, Christians? Can you watch TV? Social media. Forget social media. Let's go way back. Let's go back to the 50s. Let's go back to the 50s, where, like, every house before this, going back a couple years, would have had uh, the radio, probably, that people would gather around and listen to after dinner. And you would have, like, a father figure come over the this, this sound, and, you know, and then the father would sit and listen to that. That's interesting, isn't it? Why is the father not talking? He's been silenced. No wonder he will eventually wear a mask. Uh, but that being said, uh, TV comes, and now, at least then, they were all kind of looking at each other. The voice is coming of radio, and you're kind of seeing each other. You can talk to each other. You turn it down pretty easily. It's not too hard to turn it off. You're not, you're not pulled to it by an addiction the same way that the blue light, look it up, uh, the same way that the blue light does. And so that comes in, and no one knows it's addictive. We just all put it in our house, right? And then now we got this guy going, I tell the truth. I'm a good person. I always tell you what you ought to hear. We are a great people. You should be with us. We will never deceive you. That was the message for a while. Huh? I think it's still a message, actually. Oh my gosh. So, so like, that talking box's ability to, to press your head out of your head is not quite the same thing as like randomly deciding I want to eat a steak one day you know, at the meat market. <laughs> and so to try to take this text and apply it to that across the board is a bit difficult. What you have to do is take verse 23 and understand that there is this thing called Christian freedom. And it's dangerous. And it's also the way that God teaches you to repent. <laughs> uh, so that you are free. You will not be cast away by Jesus. Just own it. Remember your baptism. The next time you're afraid, remember your baptism. That's what it's there for, to tell the devil he cannot have you. There's a ward around you made by a promise, Father, Son, and Spirit. Trust it. It's great power. It's not power. It's just truth. I'm Jesus now, right? So stand on that. And then realize nothing can damn you. You can, you can walk as one who is the child of the light in an age of darkness with full confidence. And you better have your Bible open. If you're doing that and you're just spouting nonsense, then those with their Bibles are going to say, you're a heretic and you will be. 
But why should, why should I assume that's what you're going to do? Why don't we assume we're all going to open our Bibles and read it and say what it says? Let's start there. There's a lot of other resources that are great for, for bringing us together and handling some of those arguments. I'd suggest the Augsburg Confession is another great place to start. But the point is, it doesn't, why would we go to Augsburg to solve the idolatry of the last thousand years? The idolatry of the Enlightenment age growing out of Greek philosophy, which does not believe in a true God, and which has given us the basic, basics in Ionic philosophy for what today we call science. Which I would contend might just be a myth. I mean, I'm not going to try to explain it, but you know, electrons like technically don't really exist, right? They just talk about them as if they do. It's kind of like imaginary numbers. Like, like it's a really cool idea in your head, <laughs> you know. And then, and we've just let that run everything, everything. And we sit here as Christians and assume we can be part of it. Well, we were for a while, I think. And these things come and go. Who knows? But I know, I know what I see now in my cities in this country. I know the abortive blood that rests upon the ground and the earth. And I know that the old, old realities, the powers and principalities unseen, Baal and his henchmen, they've not been asleep. They've been more awake than ever because we don't think they're here. They just have different names. And again, once you start reading your Bible and learning who these gods were the gods of, you'll see them. Now you won't want to eat that meat. You won't want to eat that meat once you know where it was. But that's the point. It's about your conscience and your understanding right now. None of us are going to have the same that ever. So at some point, we walk by grace. We walk by faith. Sight is hind. Sight is after. It's happened. What do I learn from it? How do I find the scriptures already said it? How do I repent and align myself with what the scriptures already said so I don't make the same mistake on purpose in the future? Or that I see myself making the same mistake on purpose on the future and I go, get down, Jonathan. <laughs> you carnal man. Because I am. So are you. You know? Ah. So, <clears throat> the point of all of this is conscience. And so, let me suggest that the way out of the darkness is never do this, don't do that. Not with created things. I mean, don't burn your babies in the fire of Moloch, please. But what I mean is, it's not a bullet point. It's not about having the right answers on a piece of paper. It's about knowing who your God is and hearing him when he speaks. And the more that he does that, the more you're going to desire to not harm people at all. And the more you're going to desire to never divide over things that do not matter. So this text came up recently in a discussion with a couple of my elders, not, not all of them, but a couple of them on a side conversation. We're kind of dealing with things. And it was brought up that 1 Corinthians 14 is a reason that we should keep masks in the congregation as a requirement. Because people of weak conscience who think they need masks um, will be offended by those of supposedly strong conscience uh, who don't think they need masks. Now, what's interesting is it depends on how you set the narrative, isn't it? As a pastor, here's the crazy thing. I've seen on both sides are people of weak conscience who are being trampled on by the strong lie that's enforcing us as the church to make a decision to enforce something that's a rule of man and adiaphora in the most like Lutheran sense. We've used that word so often we ought to be able to use it now. And we cannot mandate adiaphora if it would divide the church, can we now? No, we cannot. And that's what this text is saying. If you are going to destroy the assembly by something that is merely a man-made argument, don't. Step outside the assembly and acknowledge we disagree about this neutral thing in theory, but we will let Jesus Christ judge us later. 
And we will, we will shake hands and we will kneel before his throne realizing that no matter what else is going on, he'll get us out of this. So that's why at my congregation, we are having a service where there is mass required. We're having a service where there is really limited numbers of people and mass required. And we're having a service where there are mass optional. Notice how far you go to satisfy the false religion and yet it still divides us. It still complains. It's still not good enough. And I found that out the hard way here, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, again, Adiaphora will divide us if we argue over it. That's, that's what the uh, form of the Concord 10 says. That's why pushing ahead with new music forms in the LCMS was just a jerk move. We could be doing it now together. We could have strengthened ourselves for this, but we were more concerned about our bellies. And so we argued about guitar and organ as if we were arguing about reality. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. God have mercy on us. Thank goodness we're waking up. And he did plant the seeds. The word of God is heal, here and not bound. But that's the point of the question. Don't let somebody bring 1 Corinthians 10 or 1 Corinthians 14 to you and bind your conscience with it against the word of God, telling you you should not speak the word of God lest somebody be offended by you. That's not what this is saying to do. Uh, This is saying that if you realize that somebody else is living in like a completely different universe than you mentally, and you can see their God, but they don't yet, don't support their God and do it as gently as you can. That's it. That's it, because you have your God. So you just don't want to worship that God. We're going to have a question about prayer that's kind of going to get this way here in a moment. So maybe we'll, we'll go to that one. I don't know what the order is, and I'm going to need to take a, a good long drink of water. So I'm going to push this button, and if, if, the, <laughs> if things work the way they normally work, you will hear some music, and I'll be back in just a moment. All right, I'm going to cut that music early. Hopefully you can hear me. There is a problem with a sound issue. And so uh, I found out what it is, but I have to shut everything down to fix it. So I'm not going to do that. Hopefully, uh, I'm going to take any more breaks and, and the sound will keep working for the rest of the show. Let's see. It looks like you guys are going to be hearing it now. So that's good. All right. Um, there was a conversation there in the side that had me thinking about something. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The dislike. Yay. He's back. He forgot last week, whoever it is, who does my, my weekly dislike. But, you know, I know this. I know that until there are lots of dislikes, we're not really doing much with this show in terms of reaching people. That's what I know. And so, you know, it's great that it's building and that people are finding out where to have some kind of uh, clear-cut wisdom just thrown out there to, th- you know, chew on a little bit, um, straight out of Solomon's mouth usually. Uh, and uh, and that, but uh, until we're seeing the negative blowback and until there really is a chance of this being taken down, we're just kind of an echo chamber. Chamber, But it's a good echo chamber, I think, at the moment. It's a place where you can find some consistency. So, I mean, again, that's what the Mad Christian Discord helps with. And is it publicly searchable, somebody asked? I have no idea. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just providing the space. I is the elusive man. I have rejected modernism, and I plan to retreat into my hermitage and study the scriptures with deep breaths for a very long time. But I would love to engage you in conversation from time to time, and I do it at the Mad Christian Discord. But yeah, like anything worth finding, Shangri-La, the Fountain of Youth, like, yeah, none of this making it easy for you anymore. You want to find my church? It's hard. It really is. It's hard to get to. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. So Monica says this. Uh, what are the characteristics of a good prayer? I grew up saying the Lord's Prayer and Luther's meal prayer almost exclusively, and my pastor father would sometimes pray off the cuff. Uh, I wonder where that phrase comes from. That's really interesting. Uh, but he, he like rolled up sleeves, but he had a good formula for them and sounded like something you could pull out of the hymnal or prayer books. Yeah, they teach us that little trick at the... Uh, at the seminary, a five-part prayer, interestingly, which uh, doesn't make me feel real great about that. But anyway, my husband's family doesn't really believe in saying written prayers. Yes, I think numbers matter. Sorry, I, I do. I think biblically, um, that's unequivocal at this point. My, uh, uh, it is inequivalent. That's the word. Numbers are inequivalent to the task of understanding reality, 
when we do them the way the Muslims do them. We have to start thinking about uh, all of our life in the biblical sense, which is not to like try to like grow your crops with magical numbers. That's the way a pagan would do this. It's simply to realize that five often is too much, right? Uh, it's too hard to remember. Uh, it's difficult to get there. Four itself adds chaos. And so five is like where you're, you need to get to six and split it up and have two trinities in order to have things function. And that sounds a lot like our world, doesn't it? <laughs> it's kind of funny how the story is built there in the math. And that's part of what I've been discovering from Solomon recently. But anyway, I'll share that out with you guys in the future. Um, it's sort of just a, a hobby right now to, to kind of figure out you know, what the symbolism of numbers is or how Christianity could be typified by numbers would be another way to say it. Uh, and anyway, but certainly uh, the five-part prayer or the five-point prayer was something they taught us at seminary. So I might as well just talk about that now since we're here. Uh, I see if I can remember it. You begin with a, um, an invocation. So you call out upon a name that you know is the true God's name, right? Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ. There you go. It's an invocation. Then, uh, and it's not, this isn't impious, but it is a bit legalistic if you really think about the rhetoric. And that's, that's a kind of a high comment, so don't get too whiny about it. And we can debate that. Um, but the next thing you do is you laud God for what he's done in the past that's similar to what you're going to say now. Now, the reason for this would be to say, God, I know you're this kind of God. I'm confessing your great works of old and believe that they never change. So that's the idea. But I think it can come off as, again, like an atoning thing or a, a paycheck kind of thing. Well, if I do this, you'll do that. You know, well, God, you beat Goliath for David, so beat my David. Well, or be my, be my Goliath. Uh, well, maybe your Goliath is your David or, or what you need to not be, right? You don't know that. And so you can't kind of uh, embrace the entire thing in such a way where you demand God answer your prayers. Um, but the idea again would be to lay out that you know who your real God is. Yeah? Um, so, O Lord Jesus Christ, as you once rose from the dead, yeah, like that, um, what do you want? That's the next one. So, uh, since Jesus rose from the dead, I'd like to rise from the dead too. right? O Lord Jesus Christ, since you rose from the dead, would you be so kind as to let me rise from the dead too? And then, just in case we didn't need to convince him more, and because chiasm is kind of a nice thing, but the five is bothering me again, we do a little bit more of like a... Uh, um, like, a, well, I'll do something for you. It'll be good for everybody. Uh, so we say, uh, O Lord Jesus Christ, you once rose from the dead. May I please raise from the dead too, so that I might love my neighbor more now. There you go. That's a really good prayer, right? Uh, even though, again, my commentary about the transaction is, uh, anyway, I'm thinking out loud, so don't hold me to it. Um, after you have introed, after you have lauded, after you have asked, after you have said what you will do good with it, then you say, Trinitarianly, for you're the one who can give it. Yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you stamp that on right there, and, and there you go. Uh, so, that's the format, the structure, and I don't use it much. I did initially. Um, it gets winded, long-winded to do. It can sound very uh, grave um, for like times of real pomp. I might pull that out. Um, although I have more and more come back to what we're going to talk about here, written prayer as essential and, uh, as essential in the sense of not man's written prayers, but God's written prayers. So let's, let me explain that again here in a moment. Uh, my husband's family doesn't really believe in saying written prayers, right? So here's my point, right? So this comment right there, I'm going to put a period. So they don't believe in reading the Psalms. That's what they're saying when they say they don't believe in written prayers. And that's the point where I stop having a conversation in which I'm trying to tell them anything. And I have a conversation in which I'm just asking them about their fascinating religion that 
isn't the Bible. <laughs> Until they want to talk about the Psalms and praying them and start doing it, I, I don't think they have anything to tell me. Ever. I think they're, they're morons. They are. They're fools. The Bible says so. The Psalms say so. So, you know, their, their idea that somehow written prayers are the problem, it, it betrays. Betrays everything about what lie they've listened to. This does not mean they're not Christians. Please hear me. Christianity is a wide, broad net cast far out into the evil sea of this age, and it will bring in good fish and bad together. We're not supposed to worry about that. All we got to do is realize what is not Christianity when we hear it. So when somebody is saying, I don't pray written prayers, they're saying, I will not pray the Psalms. And if they don't know they're saying that, they are deceived. They are deceived. Pastor Fisk, are you saying there is a deceiver? A spiritual malevolent force? Unseen out in the world, moving all energy to his will that he might crush any hope? Yeah, I'm saying that. I'm saying I got a king who lets him do it. And then when it all gets tied in the final knot, it's a trinity. And he's gone. (laughs) The bad guy. That's what I'm saying. And you learning to believe that is rejuvenating, really. Because otherwise, the world's nuts. I mean, really, are you afraid because you don't wear masks? They might come someday, take your stuff, and throw you in, the, in like a gulag? Have you had that fear yet? I have. I have lots of fears. I imagine possibilities. It's what I do. I imagine them in order to try to figure out which ones are more likely. And so I come up with some pretty crazy stuff sometimes. Um, and, you know, being rotting in jail the rest of my life as a Christian pastor, standing up for pro-life in a Gustavo communist age, which forces you to wear masks and uses that to come after us as their excuse so that the rest of the populace don't know what's happening. That's happened in the past, in the past in history. So, like, that's crossed my mind. This could occur again. Uh, it probably might or will. And, and so be it. Right now, I'm imagining being in a prison cell. Some guy who looks pretty, I mean, that guy's killed people. Never going to see my kids again. This is the, this particular prison. Um, my wife might get to write her a letter a couple years, maybe. Jesus Christ is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside fresh waters. He's redeemed my breath. So that, yay, though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know what I'm going to do? If I'm sitting in the cell with some crazy uh, guy, cross way, I'll talk like he does. Huh? I'll look him in the eye and say, look, dude, here's the thing. <clears throat> God is behind me. And we're going to run this prison. So you're with me. Or you're with him. I'm going to go to sleep now. Kill me and see what he does. Good night. I'm going to pray in tongues. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a haunt for demons. I'm not going to translate it for him, though, right? It's not a plan, it's an imagined possibility in which I train my mind and heart to remember. Who's inside me? That's not me. I got someone in me that's me and needs to be killed, dead. I got someone inside me who's not me. He is the ever-living spirit of Christ who has inhabited me. I can guarantee you that because I'm baptized and because what you hear me speaking is the scriptures. Until you hear me saying something different than what the scriptures say, well, yeah, we're all Christians then, aren't we now? Yeah. But I'm done not believing it and letting this world scare me 
as if some great evil story can make me like have bad things that won't be better things when Jesus vindicates it. <laughs> Nothing will be taken from you that will not be restored 100-fold. Have you ever read it? Yeah, lots of times. Me too. Have you ever believed it? Well, I thought I did. But why am I holding on to everything so tight then? Well, I don't know. Religion is a proximate thing. Uh, religion is about distance. It's about how close you are to something. It's not just in your head. That's the atheist talking. That's the pragmatism talking. That's the lie of the last 300 years talking. Religion involves your body. When Jesus calls you salt and light, he ain't kidding on multiple levels. I mean, you're made of salt and energy, so we could just go science if you want. That's not really his main point. His main point is you have something heavenly in you, that's the light. And you have something earthly in you. That's the salt. And neither of these things are bad. This is the creation. And he has become salt and light as man again because he loves you, us, earth. That much. Anyway, <laughs> I went way off here because I got into the, the fear, right? Of having conversations with people and having to be able to say, look. So let's try to bring it back to Monica's question. Look, I disagree with this. And the reason I disagree is because you've said something that you think sounds really clever and pious. But by saying this very clever, pious thing, it makes sense when you say it. But you have said an entire central book of the Bible, one which Jesus himself commends to us with great regularity. You have said it is not worth using. This tells me your system of religion is bankrupt. No matter what else you might think, no matter how much you do love Jesus, your religion is bankrupt. And the religion that's bankrupt is none of our church bodies. It is the United States of America. And we should just own that. That's who we've been worshiping. Let it sink in. It just died. And you know that too. The dream died. At least for some of us. And if you're that person who says, no, I didn't, I disagree. Well, then half of us are on the other side of that equation. And we're not, most of us don't want to fight about it. We're just sad. <laughs> we're just sad. We thought we had something special here, you know? But nostalgia is from the devil. That's, that's pretty key to remember. He wants you to go back, not walk forward with bravery, knowing your God's behind you, pushing you. Huh? Uh, so, forward. Um, you have more to say about this, and, and it's worth it. So, uh, you've heard quite a few of their kind of extemporaneous or from the heart prayers. And uh, you get confused about them. I guess you haven't been taught well about prayer in general. That may be true. I may mean, say the LCMS has been pretty, pretty bad about this. I, I, it wasn't until I got to the seminary someone told me to read the Psalms. And that's what it is. And there it was barely said. It was like, it was like the first thing that was said and that was never said again until I left. It's like the first weekend. It's like, if you're not reading the Psalms, then you're not probably going to be a good pastor. Oh, that's weird. Why is no one else talking about that? Huh. Why, why didn't I do it? Huh. Why did it take so long to figure that out? I don't know. It's because we were worshiping a false god. And we, he had many faces. Didn't have to be the flag, but you had, you had ways to trust the flag's essence. And now that that's been taken by Buffalo Soldier, um, uh, yeah, by Buffalo Soldier, uh, well, you have to find a new God, and that's what you're looking for. That's what I've been looking for. And initially it felt like it was the clock, because the clock's a big part of it. In fact, the clock's older than the country, so the clock also just died. Um, it didn't die as if it's going to go away, but... No one's going to function on the same timetables for a good long while. We have, we have a lot of fragmentation going on and people are pulling further away, not getting closer together. So being on the clock means being tied to someone else who may or may not respect your energy 
in that effort, right? And that will cause more and more undue stress. It already was causing undue stress in your life, but it'll cause more and more undue stress as it doesn't work, as people don't show up, um, as people who are in, on different spinning kind of cycles in their post-COVID trajectory of trying to navigate the chaos can't get to places the same way that they used to. And largely it's because they don't live in as regimented a, uh, a world as some others do. So if you're already regimented by someone over you, it probably feels a lot like it did or maybe busier, maybe lonelier. Um, I don't know because I'm not in that, right? But anybody who's got any level of self-employment, uh, any level of self-direction, it's hard to keep track of time right now. It, it really is. And it's because things keep changing. Um, things on the calendar uh, are always there kind of uh, potentially with the idea that our governor or whatever could just take it away again, right? So everything is is like a, a maybe future. I found this really invigorating again because it means that, you know... It, if I got to worry about next week being the furthest life can go, it makes me pray a little bit more. I got to look at Jesus. Maybe Jesus will come back, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it wakes you up a bit. So, but what you want to get into again, right, uh, is that you haven't been taught well enough about prayer in general. Yes. We don't pray the Psalms enough. Yes. We don't have them our arsenal. Yes. Um, but it always seemed kind of weird to me to pray about your marriage, your job, your future, et cetera, during a mealtime prayer. Plus in that scenario is the only one person doing the praying instead of everyone saying together. We're going to get to that part in later in your question. But weird to pray about marriage, job, and future in a shared, close-knit circle. I don't know if I would call that weird, but it kind of depends on what's weird. So in their home, every night somebody prays and leaves the table in prayer and asks for things they believe are important. What that family is attempting to do is to teach the child to believe that God is listening. God hears the child, him or herself. That's a laudable idea. I don't know that that's really the biblical model of prayer uh, to have a child lead himself is not really biblical in any way, shape, or form. The child is supposed to follow the father and the father should lead. But again, I'm, I'm not going to go and tell them, you know, do it, do it. It's about applying the, the wisdom, right? The understanding of where does the authority in the family flow from and who does God listen to first? And if you're mad about that, just remember who was born first. And if you're mad about that, just remember you weren't here then for a while. So he listened to them before you. So get over it. <laughs> it's like, like they, have a, they have a trajectory already going and you're joining it. Yeah? Um, and so why would you not be the one to lead that prayer, especially if you're feeding the people, if you're, you know, you're, they're actually your blood that's going to carry on after you and all that. And why would you not pray for your marriage? Why would you not pray for your, um, uh, what was the other one? For your family, you know, for, your, for your work, for your health, all those things. Uh, now, to do that when you have guests, I find that a little odd. I, I, don't, I do that kind of prayer in high moments, moments of big feast. Um, and then normally we use Luther's table prayer because it is just so complete and I can pray everything else I'm praying in that prayer. And that's kind of the nice thing about a good written prayer is that you can pray anything in that prayer. And the reason I lose, use Luther's table prayer is because it's based upon a psalm. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their meat in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. I mean, that's, that's the opening line. There's a psalm. We pray and then bless us, O Lord, our God, and these thy gifts, gifts, which we receive from thy bountiful goodness through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'm pretty sure there's a scriptural reference, although that is not quite a quote, if I'm not mistaken. But you basically just are throwing scripture on the table for the team, and it kind of covers everything. Everything. And if you don't like that I say meat, and you think it's just a daily bread, what's really fascinating is that the word artos, when you go back deep enough in its etymology, meant meat before it meant bread. It doesn't mean it didn't mean bread in the New Testament. It does. But again, symbols, symbols are not empty. Symbols are not empty. So when we say, you know, you give us our meat in due season, we're talking about meat as a staple of life, just like people talk about daily bread as a way of describing the entire economy, right? So um, no problems there. 
so that's what I will do. Um, but what you find happening then is when you're brought into their unique, personal, non-biblical religion, you don't belong in it. It doesn't extend itself to you and make you feel like you as a Christian can just jump in. And that's interesting, right? So this is what Christians should be better about is recognizing that we have a lot of diversity and disagreement and we're not going to solve it by yelling at each other for a hundred years like they just did. And so maybe we should be gentle, keep really strong boundaries between us. And therefore in the middle, don't do weird stuff. Like have less, not more. Like, like let's just get the apostles creed back. Can we try that? The Nicene, let's start with Nicene. Let's just try to get the Nicene creed back for like all the Christians where they're not just like saying it, but they know it. I mean, we just did that this morning, right? Did you catch that? You got to use that. Use it, download it, cut it, put it in every morning. Run, run, run. Oh my goodness. Um, so uh, you get fidgety, you say though, because you're uncomfortable. That makes sense. You're in the presence of a religion that is not really yours. It has Christianity in it, but it has a bunch of other stuff that's like household God practice on top. How can I say that? They don't read the Psalms. That's how I can say that. They do read the Psalms. Then why do they say they don't like spoken prayers? See what I'm saying? Like, and it's, it's always about trying to unfold what's been buried, not trying to give what's new. Now, when you're talking to a pagan, that's different, right? But when you're talking to a Christian, we assume the Christianity is there, but it's buried beneath a bunch of lies. And so if we're going to unify in prayer, that prayer should be about what we agree about, not about what we disagree about. And what you're finding is that they're just basically being selfish in their prayers. So not led by the Psalms to pray, what they ask for is a bunch of crap. Like, give me this, give me that. We want more of this. It sounds nice and it sounds pious and some of it he's going to give you no matter what. But the way we do it is as if we're going to get something. So I go to prayer for Jesus and we say, Jesus, please give me stuff. Jesus, please help us now. Jesus, please do this, do that. And I do that. Don't we? I mean, like, I don't do that. This is our flesh. This is the carnal man's normal path. This is why the written prayer is a guide that binds you to pray for the right stuff. To pray for the right stuff. And then your prayers begin to reflect that. There's nothing wrong with, with extemporaneous or ex corde from the heart prayer. What is wrong is from the heart prayer when it's from a human heart that doesn't have the word of God feeding it with prayer from the scriptures. That's what's wrong. So Monica finishes tied into that. Is King Hezekiah's prayer in Isaiah a good prayer? It seemed a bit like a bargaining with God for his life. And I can't tell if God grants him life because of the prayer or for his own reasons. Well, both and, both and. Um, remember when you look at Old Testament, it's in Hebrew and or Greek, but, but in both cases, it's quite ancient. And the problem is not the text. The problem is us, that we don't understand uh, exchange, really. We live in a world of magical exchange with green paper money from Mars that helps us not have to worry about exchange and just let the thieves do what they want. Um, sorry, I, I'm not bitter, I swear. <laughs> I was. I don't like it. Um, a world of exchange where you really had to bargain. That is, recognize that both people are going to probably lose unless both people gain. And so that takes a little back and forth understanding with each other. Prayers always, always from public figures reflected this reality. It's kind of about optics. It's kind of about what the people see. What Solomon is doing in that prayer is he is preaching. He is not making the claim that if he should, I mean, you, you could say he is. Let's say he is. He's making the claim that if he's sufficient, that God will receive him and the kingdom will last forever. And clearly it doesn't, but Jesus comes and it does. So Jesus fulfills it. But let's be a little more, a little more um, constructive on Solomon's potential to be a believer. So I think he is and was. 
and I, I pray we see him in paradise. I think so. I think there's two ways you can read his story, and one of them, he's in paradise with us, and I, I think he will be. Um, so what he's doing is he's getting up, and he's saying in front of the people, God, let's convince all these people that what you've told me privately is true. And when that happens, they will all see and we will know and we will praise you. And, and, and then the good will come. If you can see the prayer that way, it's marvelous. He's like, look what I've been given. How can I possibly do it? I need God. Well, there's God. I got you. Well, God, now all this has happened. I've done what you have prophesied. It is fulfilled. How can I continue to make it happen? I can't. You must. And then God does. And then the people believe. You, you can't believe. I mean, you, you don't know how insane the workload of that temple was, by the way. I learned just this last week. It's there in the text. I just, you know, reading those narrows is kind of tough sometimes to remember all the, all the bit points. But uh, they had all the stonework for the temple, all the squares. <laughs> I love this. They had all the cubes uh, chiseled at the quarry sites before they were moved so that on the Temple Mount, you would never hear the sound of a hammer or chisel. Like the whole thing was done in utter reverent silence. And part of this was something called forced labor. So every Israelite had forced labor. This is part of being a Jew. Back then, they weren't Jews. They were Israelites. There were Jews, Judahites at the time, but there were a lot more that were also Israelites. Part of that was forced labor for King Solomon. Like every month, I got to go up there for three days or whatever. You know, every year, uh, all the men come up and they help carry rocks. Hard work, but oh, look at Solomon. Look, this this thing's amazing. Look what we're building together. It's worth it. Rehoboam comes, and he, he just amplifies the forced labor and that's when everything splits, right? But think about that, that worldview. To be a Christian under a king who compels forced labor so that you will build the actual temple of the living God wherein he shows up. <laughs> and that's the prayer. And you're like, is it a good prayer? Yes! <laughs> uh, can you misunderstand it and lead yourself into jeopardy by being uh, narcissistic about how the prayer applies to you and only you? Yeah, you can. Don't do that. But it does apply to you in Jesus. It applies to us all as the church. And so we should pray it often, I think, uh, to recognize that he is continually indwelling individually you, corporately us, and through history, that great sanctifying ship, indefatigable cross of Jesus Christ, right? What a good thing. So, all right, let's go to Renee. Renee says this, I don't understand when you say, I'm here to rescue you. Hmm. That just makes me happy. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you that. Um, have you ever seen Star Wars? That, I'll just leave it at that one, Renee. Check that one out. See if someone can like can help you with that one. Right. Uh, my name is Jonathan Fisk. I, Jonathan Connor Fisk. I am here to rescue you. You've fallen under the influence. He has risen. You are paid for. You won't belong. No. Welcome to. <laughs> I almost got through. It's not even really the beginning anymore. Welcome to the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Hey, I heard the music that time. That's great. All right. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's an Easter egg. It's an Easter egg, and it has some pretty significant undertones so far as my 1978 Gen X quest to be freed from the white noise Matrix mind goes. Um, I am I am here. Set your mind free in Jesus. 
Monica says, oh, 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 Melinda says this. I am thankful that you are teaching men how to behave in a biblical manner. Well, thank you for saying that. I am thankful God is teaching me how to behave in a biblical manner and that men are listening to me as I repent <laughs> in real time. Um, I am going to start praying that women tune in. How many young women do not think there are uh, that they know? No, uh, how many young women do you think there are that know men are supposed to believe this way, speaking biblically? Haven't they all grown up with their fathers being in the background? Yes, yes. Matrilinealism is the death right now. So, but the, the your question again is like, I mean, hey God, uh, how how in the future, if I trust you, are you going to, can you fix it all for me and save me later? Uh, can you please show me that and then I'll trust you? It's, it's full on Gideon, right? Which is not a good model for prayer. You want to have a bad model for prayer? It's Gideon. Uh, and it ends well, uh, poorly too for him, if you recall. Um, uh, so to try to guess like where an individual is going to come for your child, right? And how you can manipulate light time and history to get your child to run into the person they're supposed to marry, which is often behind this kind of thinking. Maybe it's not for you, but for me, it would be, um, that's what we got to get rid of. Like, so yes, the vast majority of humans in Western civilization right now are sleepwalking androgynous yes men zombies willing to do whatever their religion whatever it is says it has many heads but it all flows back up to the pharma top <laughs> the pharmaceutical top of the United States government uh, and uh, 7,000 did not bow the knee and that's always the case 7,000 did not bow the knee when Elijah's out there with those ravens, or he's up on that mountain, and he's like, oh, I'm exhausted, God. God's like, yes, you are. You're going to die. It's all right. I get it. You're just a man. But you got to know, dude, you're not alone, you jerk. Only I am left. No, you're not. There are 7,000 other guys going through what you're going through right now. So stand up and realize who your God is. And if you want to die, I'll let you. But maybe what's coming next is bigger and we're sticking around for. <laughs> maybe you can actually do some good in this world. Maybe it's about to get really bad. And so a little bit of exercise, a little bit of nutrition, a couple of books on some basic survival skills might help in the event of something really bad. Rather than having to run and hide and panic and wonder what you're going to do. Why don't you just start growing up now? Maybe nothing bad happens. Maybe all you do is teach your kids how to survive. <laughs> I'm here to rescue you. Uh, how many women take their... Jesus Christ has. That's the point. How many women take their husband's name today? I don't know. It's a really interesting question. Less and less, I think. Um, one of my daughters did, and one didn't. Some think this is ownership similar to when the slaves had to take their master's name. Yeah, it is. And by rejecting it, you're destroying the institution of marriage, which is kind of the scary thing about it. Although a lot of people do it, it's already done, and divorce did it before the names did it. So ah, it is what it is. Um, I guess too small. I can't see. Couldn't own property or bank accounts, etc. It's funny. So, so assuming that ownership means you can't own things. Like if someone owns you, like Jesus owns you, then you can't own things. I own all sorts of stuff. It just also belongs to Jesus. We just don't understand both and. We think either or. We're so selfish. We're so selfish. Like it's it's only mine, or else it's not mine. Okay, whatever. Uh, doesn't ta doesn't taking your husband's name show oneness? Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, man and woman becoming one. Yeah, it does. Uh, it, more than that, it shows you where your children's blood will really come from. Uh, your the name which they inherit is not without meaning. 
And even though a generation has decided that they don't really care where their fathers came from because they live in the grand America, those of us, I would imagine, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's not you. There's a small pocket of us, though, that do exist who we're discovering our names have meanings. Meanings that are not merely like the sound of the words, although there's that too, but that also are inherited from like generations back, going back to significant names in the fatherland. And while, of course, Ellis Island has done everything it can to destroy our mythologies, to destroy our legacies, our heritages, and just tell us we're white, what I found out is that being a Scot, it's a good kind of crazy. Oh, it's a good kind of crazy. No one even knows we're coming. You just wait. King of the Scots. You ain't ready for it. Ain't ready for it. No, but really, uh, everyone thinks the Irish are cool. The Scots are better. I'm telling you. Anyway, find yours. <laughs> Have some pride. Poke your eye. You know, poke a finger in the Irish eye. I mean, they get a lot of press. The Scots don't get any. They always just make fun of us. Where's the good Scot? I mean, uh, I lost his name now. Sean Connery is Scottish. Uh, but like, where's the good Scott? You know, uh, groundskeeper Willie. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Yo, oh, uh, what is it? Scotty on, on Star Trek. Thanks guys. Really cool. Actually, when he first came on Star Trek, he was kind of, kind of cool. And then the sad diet, uh, got him. But point being the name has significant blood meaning and blood is life. The modern world wants you to believe blood is just seen, but it is not. It is unseen. You can't see oxygen and the blood is carrying the unseen oxygen to your heart. They're sending it to your brain so that you can have electricity fire, which is your thoughts that ties with this idea of your spirit that you don't even know how to define that. All that is happening as a, as a power that God is just doing to you all the time, sustaining, retaining, making you live and your name ties to that blood. The DNA that's in it is the DNA that was in your father and your father's father and your father's father. And yeah, the mother's bloodline matters too. But the name tells you who you're going to be first. It tells you where it's going to like funnel to a sharp and crystallized point. Naming your child is a holy act. And the frivolity of naming your children meaningless names uh, is a dangerous thing. Our country has done that and we will have meaninglessness running amok. We already do. Uh, so to say, I'm going to marry you, sir, but I'm not going to share your legacy. And I hope my, my sons rise up to be great men. Well, you've just kind of said you don't. It's like you can try to do both of these things, but they're antithesis to each other. And while, yeah, there's a both-end reality, you can't have a both-end reality in a world that destroys reality itself. If you, if you, if you cut out the, the foundation of man and woman, if you cut out what is so evident the moment we come out of the womb, and you just believe a bunch of stories told by people who don't believe there is a God and just want to rape everybody, honestly, go look at Kinsey, Al Kinsey. Don't take it personally and go look at the history of Al Kinsey. It's disgusting. It's disgusting what he's done to us. Anyway, um, to, to be part of that, Without thinking. I've asked this question enough. I'll ask it again, though. Okay, so you're not going to take your husband's name. Cool. Do you like where society is right now? Are you happy with it? How many things that Christians used to say were in the Bible did we take away in the last 40 years? 60 years. I've said this before. It's like six, six seven, maybe. I'm not going to tell you what they are. You go find it. Figure it out. Ask, what's, what was there? Look at pictures from your sanctuary from way back. What was there? What's missing? 
It's, it's amazing, really. How long and how bad does it have to get before we, th- we realize that there was a trajectory started back then in prayer, in reverence, in faith, that we're on that's taken us away from where we're supposed to be? And at least realize that some of those things, if they were not causal, were correlated. And the correlation itself, until we test it, might be causal. <laughs> and the existence of man and woman may just, in fact, be one of these things. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, uh, and male pastor is a big part of this then. She's like, well, I believe in man and woman. Not if you have women pastors, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. So I, we, we, ask me another question about this some other time. But uh, man and woman becoming one. Yeah, uh, so ownership, worldview. Okay, I want, I want to talk about ownership. Like, you don't want a husband that doesn't take ownership of you you're a woman that means he's just like he doesn't care about you a man takes ownership of everything that's near him that he can that's what he does and he begins to seek to be its controller it's god now in a perfect world this would work out really well in a fallen world he does it wrong and everything else suffers a little bit and you can read about it in genesis chapter 3 now ladies you have your own version of this though and your version is like this you think if you were in his place things would be better (laughs) That's it. That's how yours goes. If you were in the man's place, it wouldn't be like that. And so you try to make it equal instead. And what you do is you divide rather than fuse. And what you want to do is fuse and then explode into something new, right? Uh, And maybe not explode. Blossom would be a better word. Uh, You want to fuse and blossom into something better, which is not the enmeshment of your persons emotionally, but the binding of your house publicly. How does Jesus say it? A, a, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand? I think that speaks for itself, doesn't it? My name is Jonathan Fisk. I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That means I believe he's my savior, my king, and my lord. That leads, believe, means I believe he owns me. So I have no problem believing that that means I own my wife and my children. Uh, in the country I live in, I'm not allowed to sell them with this ownership. If they allowed me to sell them, I'd be fighting against that country. <laughs> I, you know, it's wrong. That's what someone who thinks ownership is about making a profit would say. That's what a pagan and an unbeliever would do. But ownership, in God's eyes, is not about making a profit and benefiting myself from what I own. Why do you own a dog? Do you own a dog for you? Good thing dogs are nice. You try treating some other animals the way you treat that dog, you'll find out you don't treat that dog very well. Huh? You hear what I'm saying? Man was made to own the earth in order to make the earth live well. He wasn't made to char up and churn up and destroy and burn everything. He was made to bring some straight lines, some cubes, some, some four-sided things, structures even, into the world and help beautify what was already there as a triangular explosion. And if you're an artist, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, uh, that is not gone. You can still love your land, your plants, and your animals as the creations God gave you for the use of serving your neighbor, who is also a human, who needs to be seen as one other than you, with the strength of conviction and charity that you would have for your pet dog. Because they're a human and your dog's a dog. 
So the distinction between animal and human really needs to be made again too. Or these are these things that have just disappeared. And yet to be able to say like, like I, if you're buying a pet for you, you're selfish. Just own it then. Oh, I'm just selfish. Then okay, well, but God made ownership to own for the thing. Now, this doesn't work with your pencil. And I really don't recommend, you know, sort of the, the feng shui pray to your pencil thing. Although it's nice to be like, oh, okay, this pencil served its use. I'm glad God gave me this pencil. Okay, there it goes. That's a fine thing. Um, but uh, you don't want to apply this across the board. But there is the reality, especially we're talking about living things, that if you own a living thing, you are a steward of a gift that is meant to blossom, not burn. And that a man should take that view of his wife. And that a woman should take that view of her children. And that a family should take that view of its house. And the head of the house is the man who's there to stand before and lead because it's what we do. And the women are there to (laughs) stand behind. And preferably, when we look back in fear, say, with your shield or on it, man. With your shield or on it. Don't tell us to look back at you in fear. Tell us to walk forward. We get that going as Christians, we can, we can be just fine. That's all fourth commandment. That's all fourth commandment. But, and it's this commandment though, like you're saying, like, I, look, linguistic things like the name thing in our culture, the legalistic argument about it, that doesn't, like you have that happen in your life and you're like, oh, therefore they're not doing what Christians should do and therefore we should blah, blah. And it becomes this like legal trail of undoing knots that can't be undone. What we need is not more of what we should do. What we need is to know we are forgiven for what we've done. Jesus Christ has bled life in blood that is far superior to the macadam that runs in my veins. And that blood which I feast upon, it calms the pagan inside of me. It tells me I am not my own, but that I have been purchased with a price. And that temace, that value, that honor is sufficient to guide me not only through the awakening of my mind in the present darkness, but past my own, God willing, gory, brutal martyr's death and into an explosive light of a new world remade where I am what I am supposed to be according to the promises he already has told me I am now. The only thing between here and there is me believing it to be true and letting the pain be the thing that convinces me that it's not. The fear be the thing that convinces me that it's not. The problems. Why do I assume they're problems? Did the Bible say that spilling coffee in my shirt was a problem? It didn't say that, did it? So maybe it's just kind of like a thing I should not care about. Oh, but people will think, yes, stories from men who worship false gods. Why do you listen? Do you hear me? Yeah? Do you hear me? Um, ownership, worldview, marriage. I think I got a lot in there for you. <laughs> what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Uh, if Satan is bound, why do we still fear him? I love it, risk it. I love it. Because that's his only weapon. Okay? Now, I remain a firm believer that the book of Revelation is not a roadmap for the end of the world. It certainly talks about things that are akin to the end of the world. There is a typology of the world's end because uh, the world ended multiple times already. The fall of Jerusalem the first time is the end of the world. Jesus dying on the cross is the end of the world. According to Hebrew scripture, uh, the Jerusalem falling the second time is the end of the world. The sun turned to darkness, moon turned to blood, all that kind of stuff. And yet here we are, all right, still going on. Um, now we're watching the end of Christendom, Constantine's official Roman uh, imprimatur to the Western Civ, uh, whatever that means. You can argue about what that means, but we're watching that thing collapse. And it feels like the end of the world. But is it the end of the world? 
is it Jesus really coming back tomorrow or the next day? Or are you just afraid he's going to burn really bad and then he won't come back because he's not really there? Okay, so back to the question. Revelation uh, is not a roadmap for the end of the world, but a roadmap for every day and every life and every year ever in which the topology is always the same. And it's the same stuff you'll find in history. You just can see it with Christian eyes in Revelation. Um, so in this way, here's what I believe about two things that a number of you who probably like me, uh, don't need to get mad about, but we're going to disagree about. Uh, there are two things that I do not believe exist as the evangelical world usually talks about them, the millennium and the little season of Satan. Okay. And so the, uh, you're talking about him being bound why we fear him. We fear him because it's still the little season of Satan. Uh, and what is the little season of Satan it is the, is the, the upside down of the millennium. Okay. The millennium is Jesus crowned. We crowned him with thorns. He's God, he's king, and he took us through the portal. First thing he did is king. I'm going home. <laughs> I'm taking all y'all with me. Uh, and then uh, he has ascended now, right, to the throne, wherein he is moving all things for the sake of other children whom we do not know about. And whatever that means, I don't know, but he'll end it when he's done with that, okay? Um, that is what I call the millennium, although I don't think the millennium will end when he returns. We will simply see it uh, revealed with eyes as we have with faith all along. And so the eighth day has already begun in this regard. And I don't think uh, this, you know, if you're in the Eastern Orthodox tradition or you have uh, some of the church father tradition, you're going to hear a lot of what I'm saying. Like, oh, that makes, yeah, yeah, okay. So that's where a lot of that comes from. That's not necessarily Lutheran confessions kind of talk. Um, that is church fathers kind of talk. Um, Anyway, so uh, when you're studying Revelation, by the way, though, too, it's just it's just hit or miss, and you really should put the book down and study a bunch of other stuff first because it's it's not it's easy to distract. Um, but in this, then, it does help us with this. So the millennium, which is an eternal number, uh, ten times ten times ten, or ten cubed, uh, kind of like the Trinity as a triangle in three shaped space with ten sides, and then it becomes four in the Book of Revelation. You guys remember that part? Um, and so. Uh, that millennium is meant to be an eternal number. It's like the infinity sign, right? They didn't have infinity signs back then. They had this idea. And so that's what they used was this idea of an everlasting thing. And so that's what happened when Jesus died. It will never end. He bound Satan. Now, before he died, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So it's amazing. It's like he's outside of time, right? He saw it happen and then he came to earth and made it happen. And then he went back and like knows it happened. And yet he's outside of it all. He's God. I don't know. But certainly he has been clear that his task among us was to enter the strong man's house and bind him so he might plunder his goods, which is you and me. Okay, so if we can understand that the millennium is all time for all history and the little season of Satan then is the time between now until when Jesus comes back. So we have a millennium in which Christ reigns, but there's still a little time in which Satan is allowed to deceive the nations, knowing that his time is short. Right? That's all biblical language, right? Okay, you can look it up and check the context and see. I'm pretty sure the context applies. Um, so, uh, uh, and so this time waiting for the eschaton, waiting for the return of Christ is the little season of Satan, where he deceives the nations by ruling them. How? This is where we got to go. By ruling them, by saying he's God. Any way he can. Hook, crook, sinker, line, doesn't matter. All he wants to do is convince you not to believe that Jesus Christ is God. That is his whole game. And the way he does that is not by coming at you and arguing in just kind of a reasonable fashion. Well, he'll do that. But his real goal is not reason. He doesn't want to talk you out of it. He wants to scare you out of it. The fear of man, the fear of death, the fear of loss, these are all not the fear of God. 
And when you feel them, you know that Satan is who you're listening to. So if the next time you find yourself afraid, you can have the composure to take a deep breath and say while you're taking a deep breath, I am afraid and therefore I'm not listening to Jesus right now. I'm listening to someone else. What am I listening to? Try to diagnose it. Try to find the voice and the story. Pull it out of your head and put it on a timeline. Diagram it like a book and ask yourself, who told you that story? And why are you listening to it? Now, if it's in the Bible, be like, oh, I want that back. <laughs> right? But if it's not, be like, I don't even care who it's from, honestly. At this point, in my world, I mean, I've, I've been doing this for a bit. I'm not discarding stories left and right. I'm trying to get to the root. And I tell you, modernism's got to go. <laughs> There's an unseen reality. There are angels and demons all around, and they're not like you think. It's not like the modern Marvel movie stuff. Um, it's far more miraculous, mysterious, and we're not really supposed to do anything about it, but we should probably remember that it's there. Let me put it this way. Let me posit a, a totally fictional idea to you. But it kind of comes with quantum physics, right? So quantum physics is stuck and has been stuck for a long time because they found that at a certain level of setting up tricks, uh, we call them like tests, but they're tricks, uh, to try to get the creation to respond with consistency so that we might manipulate it. They reached a wall they couldn't get past where the creation keeps changing and they don't know why. And they won't say this very often, but I love it when they finally admit. They say, it's like it's watching and getting out of the way. And and they're just so baffled by it. And string theory has turned this into Tutulu. Like literally, string theory is Tutulu. Like these strings are everywhere and are reaching for you and making the world work. It's like you're looking at it upside down again. Um, You're looking at it upside down. what if beneath the layer that we can see, and I don't believe they can see as far as they say on other stuff either. I have really started to question that and I'm reading about it now because I, because I'm questioning it. Uh, but what if like just that next layer down, that's like the first layer of demons and angels, right? And you know how we're trying to see them? We're like shooting radioactive subatomic particles at them and they're, they're, they're dodging it. But think about like the explosion of uh, atomic bombs, the same thing, right? You have this electron shell, which is a non-existent thing that has power, you know, like a spirit. <laughs> and we figured out if we can get them to crash into each other, they blow up. <laughs> so let's shoot demons at each other and see what happens. Now, now, let that be a fiction story for a moment. But then why do you believe it's not that? And that's where I've gone in my thinking, right? So the only reason I can say that the electrons are not, in fact, spiritual beings that we're causing to crash into each other and blow up somewhere because we don't understand the unseen realities of the universe, and that's why it started working against us to shut us down. (laughs) Why should I believe this guy in a lab coat who said God doesn't exist and we all come from monkeys when he tells me that there's a force down there that we cannot see or know about, but he's certain it must act this other way that's not what I said? And I don't care what you think about physics. What I care about is that you would go back to your Bible more. (laughs) Right? And for me, in my world, as I'm asking, what are my first principles? What is my philosophy? How do I stand with confidence with this God in this chaos? Having been inspired by things like Time Lords and Jedi and ninjas and all that. uh, I'm increasingly convinced the battle is basically this. You live a life every day in which there will be stories in your head that make you afraid. That is the devil as the world in your flesh telling you to not trust Jesus, to 
And, well, you're fully reliant upon him to really live through this. But we're also at a time where he is showing us pretty clearly that if you want to sit down and let a blue glowing idol talk to you without engagement for two to three hours every single night, you're going to fear what that idol tells you to fear. And you're not going to only fear it while you're watching. In fact, you won't fear while you're watching. You're never afraid of the movie while you're watching it. You're looking at the God. But when you step away and those stories become how to, part of how you identify and part of you being afraid of what will happen. Um, I am pretty confident that if I were not reading all the information about how bad it could get with the mask wearing in America, I wouldn't be nearly as bothered about it. I would be, I'd just be like kicking around, kicking around. And, and, and maybe, maybe we all need to be bothered about that issue right now. But we shouldn't be bothered in such a way in which we're looking over our shoulders, in which we have to meet in secret and hide. We should be as open as we can, as honest as we can, without being foolish and showing the devil our hand. Although, then again, that's exactly what you do, is you show your devil the hand that has the wounds of Christ in it, the hand that has reached out to receive the body and blood of Jesus and trust it. And you say, this is my God. And whatever you want to say to me, world, about how I have failed up to this point, about how I cannot do enough, about how the world will be wrong if I don't change and go back, I'm going to plead justification by grace through faith and that the text of the scripture says this is wise. And if you're saying it's foolish, we will have to part ways on the practice. You know? Learning to say that with what the scriptures say across all levels, not dogmatizing it as some sort of ethereal thing, but making it the language of your life. The words you say to your friends and neighbors. You talk about praising Jesus because of the great things he's done for us. You remember it. That is an antidote to fear. Satan's only game is to try to get you to forget. And the trick, the fact, the, the, the tip you know that he's trying to get you to forget is you're afraid. As soon as you smell it, as soon as you smell it, hunt that thing like a demon hunter. Really, go straight at it. I know what that theory is. That's a lie. And if you got to walk over to where you got your crucifix on the wall and put your face in the dust and say, Jesus, that ain't you on the wall, but it reminds me of where you are in the highest heaven and I lift my eyes up to you. And if this fear is real, so be it. Kill me now or teach me how to walk over it. Is government dying, says Cafe Sola? Yeah. Government's always dying, though, so it's, that's not new. Is the United States government dying? I don't know what that really means. Is the United States religion dead? Yes. Yes. How do I know it was conquered by a foreign god? Uh, native, native god, it would seem. Uh, the Indians have had their vengeance, uh, it would seem. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of any of that. Um, I don't know what to make of any of that. Uh, but what I do know is that the religion we thought was open to Christianity being on its shores is not now. Uh, it, has, it has transferred. Now, let's go back to government as an idea, though. Is government dying? <sighs> government by story that is not able to be seen to be true is dying. Laws that are just on paper but do not exist in reality are dying. Why? Uh, we have raised a group of people who consider lawlessness to be good. That's why. And so wherever the law is not enforced by power, well, then there is no law there. And how do you know where that is? Well, that's the problem. We have a lot of different parts of this country. 
and in every single neighborhood and in every single town and every single city, every single street corner and stretch, all the veins and arteries, it's different all over. But there is lawlessness and it is increasing with significant impact, financial and uh, lively. Um, and that is a disbelief then in governing authority. As, that is, we don't believe anybody's myth but our own. And we've kind of set this one up too, right? You are special. And so unless your myth is my myth, uh, we don't listen to each other. And then there are two great myths that are fighting for dominance over that um, as this other past history kind of dies behind us, this identity of, of the patriot, although there's still those who want to throw themselves at that identity. And by all means, I'm still a citizen of these here United States. I will pay my taxes. I just recognize the sovereignty of my own land within its borders. And I will say that until they come and enforce it, I'm not so sure it's a law. Not my bathroom. Goodness gracious. No, I just, I mean, it's, it's out there, by the way. It's insane. It's out there. The idea that you wear masks in your house. <laughs> nuts. Um, I, you know, I, but here's another thing that's kind of important. Um, if you can imagine something, then it is possible and even probable, though not necessary. Uh, so, you know, your, your worst imaginations of how bad it is out there somewhere, it probably is. Thank God that it's not that bad where you are right now, but then continue to remember that what's holding us together is not stories from far away. The power of the talking box is still here to keep us under the influence and there will be those who do it. But locally, while you sleep and let the box tell you you're safe because of far away things, locally, there's a whole nother host of young men who have realized nobody's going to stop them if they stop taking stuff and they do it clever. It's beginning. New mafias are going to spring up everywhere, impoverished areas where they have no choice and they've been empowered. And so, so is government dying? That's the definition of government dying. The people are starving and they're going to fight for themselves. Yeah, this, you know, but is that the U.S. across, right? It's, that's Chicago City's problem, not Rockford's problem. Rockford's got its own problem. That's not my problem. I don't live in Rockford. My neighborhood, Homeowners Association, we got some problems. That's what I got to worry about. Right? Uh, that government isn't really working the way it used to either. It's largely led by people who are tired. They can't keep up with the pace of change. They don't like the technology. I get all that, right? So all of this makes the idea of a unified government uh, what it is. It's an idol. It's a dream. It's a pipe dream. And you would have a one world nation ruled by groups of people. <laughs> Nietzsche said no. All of history said no. It's just the Democrats who say yes. Uh, uh, and, and now they're like kicking the Republicans out. And the Republicans kind of say it's not really that way, but it used to be we got to go back to the nostalgia, right? And that's where we are. Yeah, it's dying. I mean, you can't sit here and ask me to be the kid that I got raised in a Lutheran school in the 80s with a certain view of the United States and its flag, you can't tell me that's what this country is. I lived it. I believed it. I tried. That's not where we live. It's a big fat lie. And I'm done. I'm done believing that for a second. I will still render unto Caesar. And I will still know my place in the chain of command. But that's just it. I know my place in the chain of command. I pay my taxes. And you know what? Sheriff, you need me? You call me. But until then, leave me alone. And I'm going to help my neighborhood out. All right? That's, that's, that's government. That's government. That's family. That's ownership. That's masculinity. It's tribalism. It's clan understanding. And if you got a name and some people with the same name around you, why did you ever let them make you move away from each other? Mm, blood. Blood is thick. Blood is thick. Paul says this last week. Do the beads on your wrist mean anything? Ah, kind of. I mean, you can make up a meaning for anything. And this is maybe the most important thing. So symbols, right? Symbols. 
in an age of chaos where all the symbols are upside down and the archetypes have been destroyed, there are no symbols in our society that are universal anymore. The flag was one. It's not even that anymore, right? So, so that's where the kind of the loss is. You're trying to find truth and you only find truth through symbols. Words are a form of symbol. Um, because we're all narcissists, because everything's fractured, because uh, the, the inequivalent exchange of modern technology has not made more understanding but less understanding with the blast of information we've all received. When you look at a symbol like this, it's whatever you make of it, right? So what am I making of these? The story is kind of long and varied. They come over from various places um, and they've come on and off of my wrist at various times. This one used to be a necklace uh, that I wore. I bought it in the Cayman Islands when I went down and did a three week there with a congregation down there uh, a couple years ago. Um, and my wife came down and visited for a couple of days. That was really exciting. So this reminds me of that. So it reminds me of her. Um, it reminds me of my wife who is the um, only woman I've been married to. And, uh, uh, procreated with and this is about right i didn't do that on purpose that's about right for where it was before i repented that years ago um so that it reminds me of that regularly um but that's not really like for you although i mean now you know um i also have uh four girls and one son so you can look at it that way um i don't see the black as necessarily sinful or bad although certainly the saint sinner the uh, uh what is it from mass effect now um is the renegade uh protector um, image, you know, the, uh, the star that's uh, blue or red is like a St. Sinner kind of thing, uh, devil on the shoulder, a million things. It could be uh, my righteousness in Christ by far. Whenever I see it, it's my righteousness in Christ, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything at all. They just kind of shake and make noise. Um, which I kind of like, uh, some of them, I was with my wife shopping, uh, uh, yeah, most of them, I guess, are from my wife shopping, but they've, they've been in my kids' hands for various reasons at times. So it's really about family for me. But notice how all of that's goobly. That's so super goobly compared to what I was saying before this today, right? That's like, so when you take the principles and you just try to apply it, all that matters is that what I found was what Jesus wanted me to see. And I did that because I was looking for it because of what I knew already, not because of these things, right? Not because of these things. Oh, I should point out though, I do like as I'm doing the number thing, I got the four and the five and they have been separated so as not to create chaos, which is pretty cool. Um, but that's, that's, that's all juju. That's like, here, here, when you hear me talk like that, what I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is that um, math is built into creation and the, mm, the pentagram is a real thing and it tries to bring itself into our lives as the eternal darkness. Uh, pagans know this well. They're doing it. They've been bringing it back. Um, and what we need to do is not learn how to use pentagrams. We need to learn how to not use pentagrams when they sneak them into our houses, when they put them on things. My wife bought some foot cream from Egypt. It's got a pagan symbol on it. All we got to do is put a little mark to make a cross on it, and it will remind us of Jesus rather than of the moon god of Egypt. Now, you might say, that doesn't mean anything. You're talking like a modern person then. You're talking like a modern person. As soon as I know it means something, it means something. And because we know what it is, it matters. This is the First Corinthians thing, though. Like, if you buy it and you don't know, it doesn't matter. But as soon as that symbol means something to you, as soon as you have the wisdom to see it, it does matter. And if the moment you see it, it's almost completed a pentagram, stop what you're doing. <laughs> now, you might not have had that happen yet, but are you looking? Are you looking? Um, are you looking? That's the key. We've been trained to believe that there are no signs. There are no symbols. And it's because superstition in the Middle Ages got a little weird. Or so they tell us. Of course, where was that written, right? Who writes these things that tells you these things? 
So what should you take from this? Don't take my juju about the number five. Go back to the scriptures. Go back to the Proverbs, the Psalms, and the words of Jesus. Uh, If you have not spent enough time to really know the epistles backwards and forwards, Jude is really important right now. James is really important right now. And Galatians. Galatians is really, really important right now. Um, And so, you know, find the meat where you can chew on it. And if it takes you deeper into that Old Testament and you get into the Kings, uh, you'll, you'll find some real joy for these days right now if you're a man looking for how to live. Read David's life. Read David's life. Read Solomon's life. You know, I mean, it's not all happy. Uh, so, all right. So the beans mean anything. I mean, they like all things that we do as humans, we act with symbolic events. Man, particularly, what does he do? He names stuff. He names the animals. So, all I'm doing in my life is I'm embracing my personal symbolism as a way of reminding myself of what my scriptures say. And that's what the beads mean for me. So whatever you can do, right? Uh, what I don't believe for a second is that like if one of these bees breaks, that child will die today. Like that's stupid, right? That's complete moronic. Um, however, if one of these beads breaks, maybe I will go talk to one of my children and just say, hey, look, my bead broke. Let's talk. And then it would, in fact, have done the very thing that the juju wanted it to do, but not by control and manipulation or some sort of weird foreseeing that you're trying to to go behind God's vision. Rather, you're letting your symbol just act as a further focus. Um, so, again, another example, I've been using a, uh, a, uh, a really cool... Um, what do you call it? A uh, hourglass. I should remember what this is because I talk about these a lot to my kids. An hourglass. Um, I bought a couple of hourglasses a while back when I realized the clocks didn't feel right. And I realized that the hourglass was like a super, um, a super technology. Like the person who figured out how to make an hourglass the first time had like the first iPhone, right? Like they, they, they had some serious tech right there. And, and so looking at it as just a trifle now, right? I began to just kind of ponder what it means to live without a clock as we conceive of clocks as these kind of perfect stable things since they don't seem to be as stable as we thought. Anyway, I've been using it for quite a while. I love it a lot. Yesterday, I bumped it and it fell on the desk in a very interesting place on the desk that I've been kind of building a lot of my thoughts into a, a I'm going to call it a smart desk. You can read about that on the Discord or look at the Elusive channel there. But um, I'm building an idea, a framework I call the smart desk. And it's a, a platform for figuring your own thoughts out while you write and adding and growing, a, a writing platform, I guess, uh, analog. And um, you could also call it a non-artificial intelligence. Uh, I had a better word for it. It's not a superficial intelligence because there's nothing official about it. Um, uh, and that's why I'm, I'm trying to still think about how to, how to do it. It is a reflective intelligence is maybe a better way to say it. Anyway, um, so that, that, uh, that hourglass fell over and it cracked open and the sand, which was all black, began to run over that little space. And my heart, my heart leapt, right? Because that thing had become a symbol to me. And I immediately moved to pick it up and start to clean it up. And I stopped myself. And I said, wait a minute. Time just broke, right? That's what I've been believing this whole time. Look at the symbol. Do I believe that made time break? No. But now when I look at it, it can remind me of what I already knew. And that's actually part of what I was struggling to understand. So it becomes just a further symbol. But the thing itself is a broken piece of glass and it's a pile of sand on a table. Like there, there, there is nothing going on here that is... Um, Anything or more than what I'm putting into it. And that's what's important then, right? So when you're going to build your own symbolism as a family, start with like your crest, if you can find it, go and get something that you inherit. Don't quite make your own symbols up off of like Star Wars or something like that. That's bring that in. When you see where your old family crest made you like something in Star Wars, then take that, right? But start with your bloodline and build some symbols that you can just believe are what God has given you and then tie them to your face so they don't remind you of, of foreign things. 
So I used to play a game called Magic the Gathering a ton um, by Wizards of the Coast, who I have an interesting prayer philosophy about. But anyway, um, this is a card called Seeker of the Way. It's just one that showed up uh, yesterday as I was looking through cards, trying to find this particular phrase, a picture that I could just see and learn to place with certain piles of paper to remind me of when or how I want to think about them. So if it's something that I feel pressured by, but is really not necessary, productivity being for robots, not for men, uh, the seeker of the way as a picture, you know, this guy out looking for something that no one else quite is ready to see, but he's a, you know, he's a soldier, he's on patrol. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, and he's leaving behind. It says, I don't know where my destiny lies, but I know it isn't here. Well, to put that on a pile of work that I don't really owe anybody but myself that I feel bad about. That's really nice, you know? And so is that magic? No, it's not magic at all. It's, it's a picture that's a symbol of what I have chosen to make it a symbol of. I have taken mammon and I have decided to command it rather than serve it, okay? You can do this with your own life. And that's the answer to what the beads are about is to, to believe I have mammon. I have all sorts of mammon around me and I'm going to demand it obey me now. It doesn't get to tell me what to think. This picture and the messages on these cards, they used to be part of what was developing as my worldview, whether I knew it or not. And the fact that the pentagram is part of their imagery, that's a fascinating thing, isn't it now? Now, uh, we'll come back to that in private sometime. I'm not going to do that online. Um, so, uh, do the bees mean anything? No. And then, yes. Actually, I, let's not lose that. Oh, we'll let that go right there. Maybe that works better right there. Um, Yes and no at, at the exact same time is, is what that comes down to. Oops, there went that. And there is that. But I think that brings us... Let's see here. Uh, we did that one. We did that one. Okay, that brings us to that. Where are we at for time? Oh, we're right at 11 o'clock. Did we have Super Chats today? We will comb the comments for your questions uh, to bring them back for next time. I thought I saw a Super Chat. I'm scrolling back now to grab those before we go. Ryan Learman jumps in with... Uh, some cash and he says freedom is attractive and who is more free than a Christian? Amen. Safety is attractive and who's more safe than the Christian? Amen. Perhaps a good way to speak with our neighbors. Amen to that, Ryan. Thank you for the, uh, the super chat as well. It does remind me if you like what I do, I am still on Patreon. They haven't purged Christians there yet. Just hardcore Republican Trump supporters. Um, maybe not there particularly everywhere. It seems these days. And I guess I wasn't hardcore enough. Uh, so, so I, it's still a way to help uh, the gears turn in this year, electronic side of things over here, pay for the mad Christian discord, pay for all the other stuff and continue to further, uh, the work I'm trying to do with sons of Solomon, uh, building a men's network that is outside of the, uh, the main stream network. So that in the event of crisis, Christian men across the nation who are praying the same Psalms and confess the same triune God in the basic creed of the Nicene creed. Um, can't have a way to discuss things like, you know, COVID news, discuss things like conspiracy theories, discuss things like art, pray for each other. There's channels for all that in the Mad Christian Discord. And anybody's welcome. You only get kicked out if you're a jerk. Um, and really, you'll leave. You'll leave on your own. You won't like us. Uh, uh, it's, it's a nice place. Though. The streets of Citadelia are far far more peaceful uh, than the streets of, of the world in which we're living these days. Uh, don't escape. Uh, go there to remind yourself why you should get off the internet and, and do some stuff at home. All right. So duh, 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 duh. I may have, Oh, I want to talk about Patreon. So if you go to Patreon, find Rev Fisk there. Uh, that is very helpful to me. Please, please always remember this. Uh, I hate asking for money though. Um, grateful for my hubby. Yes, indeed, Sarah, indeed to that as well. Um, God be with you both. Uh, in that regard. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you guys. Well, that's, she, she's a member. They're members. So, um, oh, I got a bunch of y'all back here. All right. So uh, BR Rhodes says this. 
Oh, no, B wrote, says this, uh, heard this cue recently, Gloria Patri, as it was, ever shall be, is, ever shall be, what is the it? The world without end? Because the world does, will go under change. Hmm. Well, let me try to like do this as simply as possible and then say, I don't know that we can answer this question, but I mean, I'll, I'll say that first. I think we're going to speculate if we get too narrow. It, it means the kingdom, right? It means Jesus being God. That's what it means. And that can mean a lot of things. It means the Ten Commandments, right? It means the Oxford Confession, honest, honestly. But I think if we wanted to go the other way and make it as clear as possible, uh, what it means is that the triune God who existed before he said, let there be light, will exist forever after the light, and we are now bound to him. That's what it means. That's the it. Him. Um, world without end is the world he will make. So I would say it is the world, but it only will be the triune world existing past uh, this breaking cubed world in which we live. And again, the math is taking my head over. I'm sorry if that didn't make sense, but for some of you, it might, it might, it might. Um, you probably need to have gone through some algorithmic uh, plotting points, uh, algebra two and calculus to to make the jump. But um, I found it's uh, it's a good way of categorizing some of the more basic principles um, I'm living by, you know? So uh, thank you for being awesome. <laughs> thank you, Joe. Ah, that's that's kind of you. Um, that's kind of you. Uh, thank you for being awesome. Keep up the great work. I will do my best. Pray for me that I will continue to open my mouth as I ought to do because a door is open to me and then some. And I will continue to do everything I can to not let my own being on the box, this narcissism of getting to see my own face, be godlike to people every single week. I'm going to do everything I can to pray to Jesus to save me from that. And in that... My mission is to save you from me, from us, from this thing you're seeing me through, which you think is real. <laughs> it, it, it is and it isn't. It's a magic of the modern world, and it may not be here forever. That's what you really should step back and look at. Forget Jesus coming back. Let's just imagine that in 100 years, 50 years, 30 years, I mean, it can change a lot, right? Imagine that the world is just harder to get electricity. They keep talking about it. They keep saying it's going to be hard. They're taking away things that make it easy where they shoot stuff at each other and blow stuff up and trying to do it all with wind because you always know when the wind's going to blow, right? So, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, um, to take a step back and realize that I am not made safe by watching this. Nor am I serving anyone. When I serve is when I stop watching and begin as a man speaking and doing with my hands to those around me. And amazingly, that's what makes people safe at the end of the day. Uh, not talking about ideas, not chasing the inner philosophies of the high ponderings. When I've said high ponderings today has been the least useful stuff to you because it's hard to grasp unless we have a, a common foundation, right? And uh, so... My prayer then in this is that we're able to continue whatever comes next. You know, if they deplatform, if they shut down, if, I mean, I saw something about um, kids in California, certain areas of California, they won't be able to go to school without the vaccine. Uh, I see stuff about international air travel. Um, you know, this is a dividing of the world. And some of us, like me, I'm not going to get the vaccine. Okay, well, that means then I will be outside of the civilization. And, and there's a lot of us, I think, that are going to do that. And it doesn't mean we really want to be outside, but it means that we're going to be different. And to get used to that, to think through that, to not be angry about that, uh, to know this isn't the first time in history that, that exiles have existed in their own country. 
Um, uh, and to know that Christianity is actually really good for this. Like, I don't have to like President Biden to call him the president of the Federal Reserve of America's war mongering platform. You know, <laughs> I don't have to to like him for that. Um, and I don't have to like Tom McManera, uh, who is willing to just ride the coattails of his father's elitism into hopefully higher government than Rockford. But meanwhile, gets to be happy being mayor in the town he grew up in that's falling apart underneath his feet. You know, I, I, he's still the mayor. I'll, I'll say hi. I'll respect him. I'll say Mr. Mayor. Um, I'm not going to pretend that Rockford's doing real well underneath him. You know, so it really comes back to that distinguishing your story from their stories. And as I've been saying all morning, and I will say ad nauseum until it gets through your head, you're never going to distinguish your own story from their stories till you shut off the white noise for at least an hour to three, sit down with your Bible and a pen and paper over the course of a week or seven, and breathe. And see if you aren't surprised by what you know that you didn't think you already knew and see if you writing that down doesn't make you more likely to act on it. That's what I've found. Um, and it's been really freeing. Uh, Riskett says this too. Thoughts on salvation by allegiance alone. Is this a proper understanding of faith? I, no, with, uh, or another new perspective. That's interesting. I, just with the word, right? Because I know nothing about the, the, the background of this. So I, I wouldn't use that word yet because the fact that you use it makes me think it's got baggage. And until I'm able to like disembowel and gut that baggage before your eyes and claim it as my own. I'm not ready to, to jump in the pool, but the idea of allegiance is important. And I will tell you this, I've had a little note card on my desk for, I don't know, about three or four weeks leading up to the sixth. Um, and it said, I pledge allegiance to dot, dot, dot. I don't even know what that meant. I never put anything else on top of it. Although I think, uh, there's a card over there that says something like a barbarian is not imaginative. I think on the seventh that showed up over there as I realized what had just happened to us. Um, so in that regard, to know what allegiance means and to know its limitations. I mean, I, I just pledged allegiance to the mayor of Rockford, even though I disagree with him. I, I, I pledged allegiance to uh, the Federal Reserve. I have to. I live on their land. <laughs> I'm a slave, debt, debt bound. I'm, I'm a bond servant. I can't leave this property. I mean, I would, I would lose everything else I own, you know? And so, you know, I, so I pledge allegiance to Caesar until Caesar tells me that I have to do something evil. And now I'm going to pledge allegiance to the Federal Reserve as a, as a blood mongering, blood guilt entailing, city destroying, culture eating, Leviathan of death, the very Antichrist, which we are always watching, try to subsume and destroy the church. I can say that too. Because Paul could. And so since Paul and John and Peter could live in this world that way and not be bothered by the false allegiances of the world trying to steal their allegiance to Christ, I will say, indeed, I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ my God and to no one else above him. But I don't want you to take that and go with some allegiance theology thing that's somewhere that means a bunch of stuff I don't know about, right? Um, and But I, for my own part, yeah. I mean, what am I doing? I just keep talking about praying with your body. In the morning, I'm kneeling before the crucifix over my hearth. I'm putting one knee on the ground and a fist on the ground, and I'm believing, I'm telling myself that I'm a citizen of this king, owned more than the Federal Reserve owns me, owned by blood, both from created and redeemed. And I, I swear to him, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to go on anymore on my own, but I know you're my king, and so I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid of any but you. Here it is. I'm afraid of you this morning, Jesus. You want to kill me today? All right. 
You want to have me sin and see it and have to eat my own vomit so I learn how not to do it again? All right. Whatever you need from me today, Jesus, just would you open my lips so my mouth would declare your praise and make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Add that glory be to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in there. Remember that the crucifix is the focus to call you out of your own head into remembering a past in this world where something was done to you, you're baptized by somebody, and that was a promise initiated by the guy who had died and didn't stay dead anymore. New perspective on Paul is the idea that Paul didn't teach salvation by grace alone and that faith is an experience you must indeed achieve to some level to really be on board with Christianity. What they're doing, as is often the case, is they're taking half the texts and they're fighting against the other half the texts. They are in the the either or when they should be in the both and. There's a place for either or. But most of the world is a both and when it comes to things like this. So it's not that you're saved by grace. And therefore, since it's not by works, you aren't brought into alignment with a superpower of works being dragged through you as the maturing of fruit and the snipping away of your thorns. They're kind of going on at the same time. New Perspective is going to make the case that the the first century Jewish people were not really that concerned about guilt, that the Pharisees were really not that bad. It's like, have you read the New Testament? I mean, at a certain point, the scholars are so in their white tower making claims about, like, how they think Paul didn't write this verse. And, like, you go back and read John. You think Paul didn't think the Pharisees were a problem. Well, he was a, he knew John. How did John feel about him? He didn't even call him Pharisees. He, he used a racial, today, slur referring to his own people as distinct from him not believing the truth. And that that was about their not seeing his incarnation. Now, Paul says this is about their not seeing his justification in the book of Galatians. Both and. Why would you why would you divide the incarnation, baptism, circumcision, uh what? Last supper, his preaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return. Why would you divide that? Why would you act like any one part of it does everything by itself? Well, he only saved the world on the cross. Well, technically, like that's where the blood is shed. Don't you think when he conceived of it before time he saved it then too? We're so narrow. We're so small-minded. And here we are telling God how he should save us, how he should fix us, what's wrong with us, and it's his fault. So I don't know. Allegiance? Yes, it's high time we stop thinking we have the power to pledge allegiance to God. So if you happen to be pledging allegiance to God, do it like it ain't by your power. And be grateful. Dear heavens, hallelujah. Jesus, thank you, right? That's been a fun one. I've been finding... Alleluia is a word that if you'll just start saying it, you won't stop for a while. <laughs> it just starts coming out. It's so, it's so smooth and easy. Uh, and again, if you want to talk about true speaking in tongues like the Bible says, okay, so that's Alleluia is a Hebrew word. And it means praise Jesus Christ. That's what it means. And down through history, praise Jesus Christ. Alleluia. That's what it means. And so you say it in Hebrew and you've spoken in tongues and, and you can translate it. Praise Jesus Christ. And now you are speaking in tongues. Yeah, and, and you the, the prophet has the power over the prophecy. We're not prophets like they were of old, where you get special personal visions. All of us who are baptized into Christ are now, are now made prophets. Their sons and their daughters will prophesy, Acts 2 says, but we're not prophets who foresee based upon our own imaginations. We foresee based upon Scripture saying, yep, that's what's going to happen. That's, it's always going to happen like that. It repeats, and then it's big and finishes. Right? That, that is the trajectory of history. That's what we do. And uh, the fact that American churches have ceased doing that is why this is happening. 
If you don't pray to your God, why would he defend you? It happened all the way through the Old Testament. They, they got comfortable. They stopped praying to God. They stopped thinking what he said was true. And he sent the Philistines. The barbarians come. Welcome to the New Testament, people. Welcome to the New Testament. All right. So, uh, yeah, on the word allegiance, I can't really tell you otherwise, but thank you for the super chat. And I definitely am glad to use the word allegiance. I think it's a powerful word. I would just want to know who's saying other things if there are bad things being said with it, lest I... That's so Elsie messed with me, but it's true, though. You do want to know how the word is being confused um, so you can turn the word... Uh, you can refuse what they're saying, and you can infuse what you're saying... With what is, hmm, pro-fused. Ha! There you go. Yeah? Think about it. Think about it. Stop it. Rewind it. That made sense. Um, <laughs> a lot, actually. Uh, thank you for all the amazing discussion, says Mrs. Harris, uh, with 20 bucks in Super Chat. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you as well. Um, I have a great event pr- planned with the Men of St. Paul today, and I'm going to go head off to, but uh, remember the Sons of Solomon is simply the commitment of Christian men to pray the same Psalms every day. There are nine of them. You can add 10 if you want to go all the way up to 149 and throw it on the end. I've been doing that one recently. Ooh-wee, what a psalm that one is. Um, but to pray those same psalms every day in the belief it can't hurt the church. It can't hurt the church if we all decide to stop doing different stuff, stop trying to be our own, stop thinking we're the saviors of the world, and just go back to the simple prayers of the diaspora. What do you do when you're supposed to repent? You pray these prayers. That's what you do. Uh, that's what the Sons of Solomon is about. We're having our first muster in Rockford. We do this every couple of months or so where we just get together. We go to a couple of places. We sing. We pray. Uh, we're going to come back to the sanctuary uh, there. And uh, when I say pray, we're like going to pray at the abortion facility or whatever. Um, we don't have one of those. I forget where we have it. We're going to the city hall. Um, anyway, we're going to go and be a public display of our concern for America. We're not going to pick either side. We're just going to be weirdos. We're going to have crucifixes with us uh, uh, so that we can really look like weirdos. We're the crazy Christians who think that Jesus is coming back. Yeah? And uh, we are going to also be talking about, uh, when, we, when we do kind of the, uh, um, the study gathering presentation part, I don't, really don't want to call any of that. It's more going to be a discussion hour. Uh, you know, how do we... Uh, Reckon with the fact the world is changing beneath us faster than we can keep up with it. You cannot catalog and manage everything the white noise throws at you. Um, here is a time. Let us retreat and ask, you know, what's the real war? Uh, how do we work together? So that the first one of those is January 18th here in Rockford. You can find more information on the Mad Christian Discord. Uh, again, I hate to say that that's, you know, if that's hard for you to find. Well, um, sometimes the quest is indeed a quest. <laughs> uh, and that's just it. I should, I'm going to say this. I, I, once upon a while ago, I really thought I was going to be able to get this Dungeons and Dragons game going on online. And I'm pulling back from that idea. And it's not because of Wizards of the Coast, although it might change that eventually. Um, it's more just about recognizing that there are only so many things of, of lasting value in the world. Things that my children will receive. I have spent hours and hours and hours giving this screen my life. And my children won't see that. They won't see most of it, I don't think. And so I'm stepping back from that, you know, and asking, how can I do more things that are going to be established, things that are going to remain, things that my son will be able to inherit? How do I even begin to think about a life in which he would want to inherit something from me since I lived a life in which I did not really want any of my parents' things? I mean, they're still alive, but like, it wasn't, I don't need it, right? There is no symbolism. There is no heritage. The name didn't mean anything. It does now, thank God. Um, now, I, I tangented there a little bit. I'm not sure where, uh, I think I had something else I wanted to say and I didn't get to it. But 
Um, well, wisdom, wisdom is what people see. Knowledge is what you can learn. Your body is where it happens. My encouragement to you is this. I mean, we talked about a lot of different things this morning. And I don't want to I don't want to leave you on a sour note. I want to leave you in confidence. That this body that you have that's breathing on the other side of this electricity and this tentacle of Cthulhu running from us to each other, carrying our spirits and sucking life out of us while it does it, is not powerful enough to suck out the message that when I turn away from it, it has no power over me. And all of its lies, all of its tales, they are secondary to my holy book, which is over there by which I kneel before my God and I beg him to hold true to that work and not to these lies. And I guarantee you, men, that's a good life. It's a really good life. Huh? If you want to be a demon slayer, you've got to start hunting the demons in your own room first. And they're not big, wiggy, scary boogeymen. They're the ghosts of your past. They're the voices which tear you down. They're the false stories that you've allowed to be true stories. And there's only one antidote. The man, Jesus Christ, and his holy everlasting word. That's why you're still listening this late in the morning. So, grasp it with both hands. Lakach Zedek. Seize the righteousness as it is truly given by grace alone. And then, don't wallow in the muck with all the other nut jobs. But stand. Lift your head. Hit your chest with confidence. All the more as you see your death approaching. All the more as you see the day approaching. My name is Jonathan Fisk. Jesus Christ has already rescued you. Rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? 